Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 76 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, we got a god for destruction we're going to talk about. That's right. We're going to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, (laughs) and his play uh, in the Game 7 of the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Brooklyn Nets that uh, went to overtime. I think it was a 40-13-5 split for him. and, and listeners, as though that wasn't enough for the show, we're also going to talk about the Kragnos Broken Realms book. Okay. Sure, yeah, I, I, that's fine. <laughs> and then we're going to do a short overflight of 3.0, just some important things we want to talk about. And again, to tr- not that we have to rationalize to you why we're waiting for you know July 11th to talk about it, but we do want to help you understand why we think it's important to wait, because there are some key elements that are still missing. And again, we'll talk about that in Emperor Lies. So... Anything else, Brendan, going on? Other than... Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm exhausted. I I feel great. I told Brendan, my neighbor, I live on the river here in Milwaukee, and there's apartments like Mm -hmm. across the river. We live in a condo. And this neighborhood was just lit up last night. Everybody was screaming and yelling, and it was great. It was really fun. People had all kinds of TVs outside, big screen TVs they'd set up. It was a magnificent day last night. Yeah, it was just perfect. Really cool. Really cool for the city and for the people here. So, yeah. Eight more games. It was <laughs> eight more games. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? God, that game yeah. felt like it was for it all. Uh, it did. Back to our Warhammer stuff. We will be right back with whispers. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendan? Yes. Hobby time, my man. Yeah. You have continued. I mean, you're just, you're like a factory and you never shut down. It's like you're running three shifts all the time. Every time I go into Discord, you're holding another model that you painted. (laughs) I got bored today. I painted this. Here you go. (laughs) Obviously, with 3.0, it spurns on a lot of different thoughts and ideas and creative attempts at different things. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm really trying to finish the Slaves of Darkness stuff that I have. Like, we're right at the finish line. But the models I have left are models I really do not want to paint. (laughs) Like, at the very core of my being, I have not liked painting them. Okay. (laughs) To the point where I have considered selling, not the Varengard bit of it, but like the the little Warcry guys. I'm like, I just don't even want to... Like think about now, this. Are you taking your slaves list to Circle City? I have no idea what, what you're doing. taking at this yeah. point. Okay, the, so so which, but they'll be done if you want to. Yeah, yeah, they're they're and if I decide on a list that requires those, I will you know knuckle down and of course you and will. we'll get them done. Of course, probably not, but because I have the rest <laughs> of what I need. But, you know, this is what we'll talk about, you know, when we touch on 3.0 a little bit later, because there are all these kind of like wide open bits of it. Mm-hmm. I have just been painting kind of everything mm-hmm. uh, that is just in my vicinity that I think sure. might be useful. Painted some blood knights, painted some giants, you know, started painting some wolves. I put together a bunch of the soul blight stuff. I put together a bunch of giants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, there's started painting one of them. I finished one of the little guys. The man eaters. Yeah. yeah. One of the one of the man crushers. 
And obviously, you know, those lists are, you know, roughly eight models, yeah. but they're big models. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I just, you know, one of these things where I got up this morning and I was like, well, I've got an hour and a half between when I finished writing notes and when I needed to leave to come over here. And I finished, you know, most of a blood night and we leave, you know, I'll finish painting that one. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, you know, it takes me like, you know, an hour and 45, two hours for every blood night. It's like, I could knock out a blood night every night, Mm -hmm. which would mean that I'd have, you know, 15, you know, ready for this period of time, but I have to do that every day. And Mm. I'm like, well, and also Vangorian Lords, but also wolves. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, but also giants. (laughs) I really need to bring my focus in as we get closer to Circle City here so that I can not only spend time, you know, painting specifically what it is that I need, but spending time specifically playing what my army is. Yeah, makes sense. But yeah, I've been doing just a lot of building and a lot of painting, and a lot of it is not focused. I think I have some newer Twitter followers who aren't totally familiar with my process. (laughs) And they're like, wow, you're really going after everything there, huh? And I'm like... Boy, if you only knew like what the rest of my basement looked like. <laughs> it's true. You got a lot to choose from down there, man. Yeah. You could just randomly grab something, close your eyes, and be like, oh, yeah, I'll paint this. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> it's great. You yeah. Piles and piles of money. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. How about you, Dan? What have you been working well, on? I got another frame for my battle foam bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had recommended I do that just so I could you know, put some things on it and then pull the old one out, put the new one in with some more armies on it and stuff. So I got that. I'm going to assemble that and put it down in the storage locker. I also got my foam board that I've been looking for. I wanted something that was really firm. It's about a half inch five eighths inch foam board so i've got that for my display board now and so i'm going to start working on that i also got my sigmarite mausoleum box with all those buildings in it Mm. so now i'm pretty much set i've got to go over to walther's which is like a model railroad store for a couple of uh, woodland scenics things that i think i need i want to start on my display board this coming week at least get some basic elements on it so that's part of it i finished my second unit of 10 hex rays they are in the bag, on the rack. <laughs> they are done. So that's great. So I got 20 of those suckers now painted and ready to go. As you talked about with 3.0, there's so many things flying around and doing stuff. You know, I was looking at the points for Night Haunt, and Reapers kind of came back. It's like Reapers are back on the menu for mm-hmm. a lot of reasons. As you pointed out, two-inch range, some other things. It's like, yeah, I've got 20 Blade Guys Revenants. I got 20 Herodons. Why not have... 20 you know at least 20 reapers and then i'm gonna have a lot of flexibility with what i do what does that mean for my chain rests i don't know because they went up 20 percent, literally you know they they added 15 points to each unit Mm -hmm. and that's a lot cumulatively because of how many i normally use i mean i think based on the last list i had it would have been like plus 60 points for the same number of chain rasps hobby wise i did just since last night i have built and primed 10 reapers and i've got a couple boxes incoming and hopefully i'll have those all painted and ready within the next two weeks so then when we start hopefully the after fourth of july we can get a couple games in at least before circle city yeah i'll have a lot of things that i can move as we're working through our lists and seeing what's working for us so that's kind of what's on my docket right now and i'm thinking as well if i have the time i might want to get 10 of my heritage painted i got them you know, ready to paint, mm-hmm. but I want to get those going too. If you and I manage to get our hands on things early, I'm sure we can start playing games. Yeah, early. I don't think that there's going to be too much day one FAQ that's going to screw around with what you or I are planning to do. Probably not too much. Yeah, and the things that are going to mess with us 
we've, we had a conversation about one of those things today already. Mm. So we're going to have to make some adjustments. Anyway, so that's hobby, I guess, for us. We've both been pretty busy. And I know we're both kind of getting ready for Circle City, which is four weekends from now, which is awesome. The nice thing is, is <sighs> no matter what, I've always got something that I can go yeah, back oh, yeah. into and grab if I don't happen yeah. to get done what it is that I'm you know, looking to get done. So. Perfect. So let's just real quickly, I just wanted to mention these things because I think there are times when GW needs to be called out and everybody's going to have a different perspective on what these things are. And the first thing is remember with Indominus where we had a lot of retailers had received orders and requests from their customers, a lot of the local stores. You know, they'd ask for 30 boxes or 10 boxes or whatever it was. And just days before the drop, the pre-order, GW communicated to them, oh, sorry, man, we don't, we can't get these all to you. We can only give you half of what you asked for, a third, whatever it is. And just created a lot of feel-bads in the community when that kind of thing happened, and especially with a lot of the retailers. Mm-hmm. Um, this same thing has happened with Dominion, but locally in the United States. As you pointed out earlier today, we were talking about this. So a lot of people ordered whatever it was, 30 40, you know, whatever it was, 10 even. And GW just said, this is the flat number you're going to get no matter how many you said you needed. For the initial release. Correct. There are going to be additional waves of this. Right, there are. Right. But for the initial release, there's going to be a limited number of the retail sites. Just, you know, just something to think about. And, you know, that means they got more in their own box to sell at their price, which means they're going to be making more money. And I guess it's just... What I'm saying, listeners, is think about it. Where do you want to spend your hobby money? You know, what's important for you to, you know, where you want to put those resources. And then the second thing was, it was look, as I was looking through the Kragnos book, Brendan, and looking at the battalions, which mm-hmm. we're not really going to talk about. It hit me for some reason. Well, wait a minute. I'm looking back and saying, right as Kragnos was released, the book. There were a bunch of boxes that came out, box sets. Correct. that all matched exactly the War Scroll battalions that were in Kragnos. Yep. And... I just felt it was, as I looked at that, it was just very misleading. I'm going to say that. I think that's a good term to use for GW to, and I'm not saying here, everybody who bought those boxes bought them because they were battalions. Some of them certainly did. But yeah, I'm, I bet you a fair amount of people said, oh, that looks like an awesome battalion. The exact number of models I need is in this box. I'm going to get it because I want to play that battalion. GW knew very well that same weekend that a couple weekends later, people were going to find out War Score battalions were no longer valid. In match play. In match play. It just seemed really unfortunate that that's the way that happened for a lot of people who bought those boxes with that intention. Yeah. And that is an unfortunate thing. And again, I'm going to call out GW if they do stuff like that. And for whatever reason. Now, the one thing I will say when we're talking about the Indominus versus Dominion Mm -hmm. square away is I don't know a person who wanted Dominion that couldn't get it. Correct. In that sense, they won where they lost before, right? Where That's correct. The issue with Indominus for anybody who's not familiar was they promised everybody will be able to get whatever they want and then they limited it to two and then they limited it to one and then not everyone got one yeah and so they made this wild made to order i wept quietly for the master schedule at their facility at the manufacturing facility Mm -hmm. in this instance there was enough for everybody to your point it didn't necessarily come through the lgs local gaming store yeah but where are we going to kind of draw the line on applauding people for doing what it is that they set out to do and promised versus like, this is clearly a demonstration of having learned from previous experience. And I was just going to say your point that what I'm hearing you say is that 
if there's improvement, let's acknowledge the improvement. Yeah. And there is improvement for sure. More stores got more, a lot more boxes than they did before. And did they meet the overall demand that they had? A lot of them didn't. But again, like you said, the boxes were available if you wanted them somewhere. They're still available on the yeah. GW site oh, right yeah. now. Right now. They're not sold out or anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just those two things I wanted to talk about real quickly because, again, you know, we, <laughs> we're we not shills for GW. We get nothing from them. As you pointed out many times, Brendan, we don't get early copies of anything. Ugh, you know? We're yeah. Just, and that's okay. Point that stuff out when it comes yeah. up. But, you know, some people really have feelings that we did not get the stuff early, we, that we didn't get a Dominion box. And that was really cool to hear from people. Yeah, it was. Why don't you guys get the stuff? I don't know. I guess we don't belong. Yeah. We, <laughs> Dan and I say mean things. <laughs> so let's move on. And what did come out, obviously, yesterday was the Dominion box, the limited ed core book, the core book. Oh my goodness, General's the handbook. price on that limited oh edition core book. Oh my, over $200? Yeah. Oh my God, it's crazy. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, spend your money however you want to spend your money. It's a yeah, good thing. Quite the price. The Path to Glory logbook, which the whole Path to Glory thing certainly seems to be mirroring the Crusade yeah. kind of mechanic that's going on in 40k and then there was an objective set that came out some, and they're actually pretty nice when i looked at them those are all things that had dropped yesterday and the official hit the street date is july 3rd so two weeks uh, we'll have all those things in our hands and there is also a day one fact right that you've talked about there will very likely very likely be, be a day one faq for aos 3.0 which would- i would bet a, a good fair chunk of money that at 6 p.m. Central Time on Friday, (laughs) when everything goes live on the New Zealand site, there are going to be updates that we are going to to get our arms around and we'll we'll talk about again we'll talk about this in lies in just a little bit Uh, so that's all the stuff that's come out just a real quick note that I think everybody knows but 3.0 is pretty much out in the open now I mean there's not there's very few things that we don't know there are critical things we don't know as we're going to talk about in lies like you said but most of the stuff that you need points are out if you're interested in your army there's a place to find the points yeah so there's a bunch of YouTube shows that flip mm-hmm. through the book and you'll be able to see. And there are documents floating around the interwebs that mm-hmm. tell you how many points things went up or things in some instances went down. Yeah. Core rules are available for to download for free from Games Workshop. And mm-hmm. if you are a hired copy learner like I am, you can go send it to a printer <laughs> and spend a couple of dollars and you know have a book to flip through. Yep. The key elements of the General's Handbook you know, people have reviewed digitally online and you can mm-hmm. you can do that learning early. The one thing that we do not have is the clarification that would not fit or doesn't even make sense to put into a hard copy version because all of that information is in large disparate areas. Correct. Yeah, cool. if you want to know how to play 3.0, it's there for you. And, you know, we'll make some clarifying statements, but there's going to be some things in the core rules that change in match play no different right. than in 2.0. Right. So you got to be careful with what it is that you're reading sometimes. Okay, and we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Uh, so let's go to games played. Sigmar, we had a nice uh, afternoon with our friends uh, Bryce and Ty. Yep. And that was great. I, I love that. Yeah, we that played was... a doubles game. Yep. And, you know, it, was, it ended up being you and Ty versus uh, Bryce and I. Yep. Your Night Haunt and his... Iron Jaws versus Stormcast and Archeon in a Slanesh list. Oof. Dan, you made a critical mistake. Of going first. Going first. Ah! And then charging yes. into our screen. And yeah. then Bryce and I going, Yes. Yippee skippy. <laughs> watch this. Uh, and then we proceeded to just leaf blower 
the rest of the army. We were still pretty close, though, going into four. It was close going into four, but it ended up being one of these things where if we win priority into four, right. we win turn four. Correct. If you win priority into four, we win turn five. Right. Yeah, it was. So the, the game was decided after three, but in terms of overall points, it was a question of when would the game mathematically end? Yep. And you got rid of his Maw Crusher pretty early. That's what Archeon does. Yeah, that's what he, he did. Goes, chop, yeah. chop. The high point of the game for me was killing uh, his Celestin Prime. That was very cool. My Hex Rays kind of jumped him and took him out. So that was pretty pretty neat to see them work. Yeah, way. and I summoned two Keepers of Secrets. Oh, yeah. And you would have had 30 Demonettes. And 30 Demonettes. Yeah. And in, in a list that's not supposed to be able to summon any, it's not very good. Yeah. <laughs> Heat Knights are... Well, the point was is that we played 1,500 points a player. Yeah. So that was a 3,000 versus 3,000 point game. Mm-hmm. And when there are that many units on the board... Sure, you're going to... You can generate some points yeah. pretty quickly. That ended up being the case, and that was one of the reasons why you guys going first was such a... I don't want to say such a poor choice, but yeah. maybe not a well-informed one. Because we were starting our turn with almost enough summoning points to summon something. Yes. Uh, we didn't have enough, which kept me from that. But then we generated enough points in our turn where when we doubled into two, a Keeper Secrets Popped came on the board. right out on the table. And then we generated enough points to summon 30 Demonettes the next turn. And then another another set of points in turn four yep. to put a Keeper Secrets on the table. Sure. And we would have had enough points in Battle Round 5 to put another 30 Demonettes on the table. But it was just great rolling dice with people and playing the game. And mm-hmm. yes, we played in 2.0, obviously. It was at that point. But it was just it was just great to roll dice with friends. Man, it was good. Yeah. So it was a great, great game. Great yeah. game that way. And then have you played any other games? Yeah, so uh, I have played three games of 3.0 against myself. Real tough opponent. He's a tricky one. You and put the mirror up on the other side of the table? No, like, I, I couldn't find one. <laughs> When we do our full 3.0 show, there's definitely some things that I have learned progressively across the three of them, and I expect to continue doing learning. But my best piece of advice on the front end as you enter into 3.0 is almost treat it like a new system. Mm-hmm. The There are going to be things in here that are very familiar to you. And that's totally fine. That's totally reasonable. It's still Age of Sigmar. There are still Age of Sigmar elements. The way you look at list building is totally different. The way that you look at command points is totally different. Mm -hmm. The missions are more of a standard scoring format across most of them. Okay. So the way you approach missions is going to be different, and that is going to inform a lot of your other decision-making points. Okay. I'm interested in kind of continuing that learning experience of figuring out how this all comes together as we go. All right. Perfect. Yeah. What about you? Cool. Yeah. Other than the game with you three, I really haven't done anything else. I've been doing a little bit of uh, Iron Harvest still. I finished both the Polish and the Polania Mm -hmm. and the uh, Russian campaigns, which was great. And I've just started the one with Saxony, which is Germany, but still enjoying the game a lot. But I haven't played much of it because I've been painting and building and stuff and trying to come up with lists and work out something to kind of plan for the next four weeks to get ready for our trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's it for me for playing events. So just a few notes here. First of all, we know that 3.0 is confirmed for Circle City, which yep. is great. We were hoping that was going to be the case, but now we know for sure. Right, because uh, it was it was right on that edge. Yes, of, and he could have gone either way. 
yeah, certain people behind that were encouraging him. <laughs> Very strongly, yes. yes. I saw on Facebook there was some more Dragonfall stuff. Is there anything you know about? Yeah, so there are more spots opened up for Dragonfall. Perfect. He's got 22 tables now. Oh, wow. So now that's a 44-person event. Wow. I don't know what's available, but you are more than welcome to go. If there's spots available, go grab them. Mm-hmm. And if not, jump on the wait list and you know, you'll know you be made aware if there are drops or if they are able to find even more tables, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But it's good to see that they were able to, to expand. That's wonderful. Good news. Yeah. Did you get any feedback? I mean, I listened to Rage of Sigmar, so I got some feedback from Atlantic City, from Jacob and Jill, but did, have you heard anything else, like how that went overall? Other than All them. of my information is from them. Okay. And they had fun. <laughs> yeah, so. that's what it sounded like. That's really great. And then, is there anything else? Not Nothing new on the calendar. Nothing new on the calendar. It's nice to see people trying to put one-dayers together in different places. Sure. I mean, the rest of it is... We're going to see packs being updated. You know, my pack for Bruce City Brawl went up with some of the 3.0 information that I had available to me at the time. Signups open on the 27th yep. at noon Central Time. I got on my calendar. So if you are interested, go to the Facebook page, follow the directions. Email me. <laughs> yeah, follow the directions. I will not honor any directions that were not followed. <laughs> and he won't. I'm telling you. Yeah. It's almost like I'm a, you know, a medical compliance person. All right. All good, man. Stuff. Rock and roll. Yeah. I'm quietly dreading Sunday next week. (laughs) Yeah, but you did it to yourself, man. I guess. (laughs) Okay. All right. So let's move on from Whispers to Emperor Lies. Man, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, We're a time bomb. Okay, Brendan, let's start out with a little 3.0 overflight, just a general conversation. We talked a little bit about it already, but I think from our conversations earlier today, the reason we're holding off, I think in terms of those two shows, one on the 11th and the one a couple weeks later, there's a term in 40K that the Ultramarines do something that's called a theoretical versus a practical, where whenever they're figuring out some kind of a a tactical challenge or whatever, they always come up with a theoretical, which is based on the perfect situation. You know, this is the way it should be. This is our solution. And then the practical is once you get there, once you've actually engaged, what's your plan? How have things changed? How have you adjusted for that? So I think that first show is really going to be our theoretical. We had a little bit of practice, but we really haven't been to an event or anything else where it's really been active. We see a lot of games in a competitive environment. True. At this point, we know that there are key pieces missing and some of the things you'd mentioned why don't you talk about those that we still even though we've got a lot of stuff out there we still don't have enough to make some important choices yeah so if you imagine this as a a picture right where you have an image of a landscape to get the big picture of it right you know you, you talk about the horizons and the overall colors and and what the shape of that is going to be that's the core rules. Once we got the core rules and you know, we started to gain an understanding for what the game is going to be, how right. like how mechanics are going to work and all of that. Sure. And the good news is, is that everybody has access to that right now. It's there for you. It's 44 pages, big change. As you move closer, as you move to kind of that middle ground, that's where the general's handbook starts, you know, clearing up some details for you. You know, what are the missions going to be? How are your points going to break down? Are there any extra layers of rules, right? Like the realm of Gur 
is in the general's handbook, and that certainly incentivizes monsters. It gives you more core battalions. But there's this last little bit that has to be made clear in order to understand the full photo. Mm -hmm. That is, as you read through the general's handbook, as you read through the core rules, and it's not even that you don't like how they work. There are things that flatly, based on the way the core rules are written and what is expanded upon in the general's handbook, there are in terms of minimum unit size, in terms of reinforcements, in terms of com- generic command abilities, all of that. There are things from there that, when applied to armies, war scrolls, abilities, spells, artifacts, that just flatly do not work. Right. And it's not, I don't like the way that they work. It's you cannot do this. You know, there's a couple of war scrolls in Skaven that have abilities based on unit size, and, and you can no longer build a unit to that unit size. Right. There are units in Caradron Overlords that theoretically should be available to take Aether Gold. Well, with the minimum unit size, you can never get to that size of a unit. Mm-hmm. You can't give them Aether Gold. Sure. Now, is maybe some of that intentional? Perhaps. But all of that is written down somewhere else, and, and that needs clarification of to whether or not that's intentional. If it's intentional and you're not supposed to do it, well, okay, you pick up and move forward with that. But if it's not, they're going to add a clarifying statement of what you know these new thresholds and things like that are. And I imagine we're going to get that on day one. We got that on day one in Age of Sigmar 2.0. Sure. We got that day one in 40k 9th edition. Mm-hmm. Right. And with that final bit that clarifies the full picture where you can speak intelligently from the ability to see all of it for what it is. Mm-hmm. If I only talk about the core rules with no context of the handbook, it's gibberish. If I talk about you know the core rules with the handbook without the context of the FAQ... You might be able to understand bits and pieces of it, and there's things that are going to be fine. I project, Dan, that your Night Haunt probably aren't going to be dealing with any day one FAQs that are going to be, you know, life-altering. Right. There are people with armies who are sitting there going, my rules don't work. Mm-hmm. And they need that clarification. Sure. And they need that spelled out. We made the decision to not make this the 3.0 episode because we don't have... and. Quite frankly, no one has, at the time of recording, the full picture. Right. It's speculation and conjecture, and you can talk about the core rules in the handbook for what they are, but when you're talking about the game of 3.0 and what it means for your army and what it means for playing the game, no one has that true definitive answer right now. We'll point out some things that you probably want to be aware of as you're getting your practicing games in against you and your friends and trying to figure out, you know, what all this means. But these are just high flyers of, hey, Dan, I've done enough soapbox (laughs) speaking here. What in 3.0 that you have looked through the rules so far that that jumps out to you as something that you want the listeners to be aware of? I I just think that to your point of this is to a certain level a new game. I mean, there's still basic things there. But when I'm looking through it in terms of army building, it's fundamentally changed, and you're just going to have to totally think about how are you going to be successful without War Scroll Battalions now? Because we know in competitive play, they won't be valid anymore. Sure. That's a huge sea change for so many people who play competitive Sigmar. Even those who aren't on the top tables. I mean, everybody uses them or tries to use them to their advantage, and not having that tool, but having something else that works differently somehow you need to make that mental adjustment to use this new tool to your benefit and maximize the effect of it. So I think that's important. I think another thing is the way that heroes and monsters have abilities now and that individual unit champions 
have an ability to do something in the game. That's a real big change because before you just didn't send units out alone. You always had somebody babysitting those units to give them the save or do something else. And now you have the ability, for example, if you haven't used it already, you can use that unit champion to keep your guys from running. You can do that. Mm -hmm. You know, use that command ability. You could never do that before if you didn't have a leader within a certain distance. I like that change. I like the fact that you have other options in your heroes and your monsters, things like that. Your unit champions are now more involved in the game. They have more things that seem useful uh, that they can do. And I like the changes in command points a lot. I like the fact that they don't carry over. (laughs) to me anyway, is somebody, I always had enough. I usually had enough. I usually used the ones I have. I never really didn't spend my command points. Although I play a lot of people who did, you know, they'd always save three or four to the next turn. And by turn three, they had 10, you know, it's like, wow, can't do that anymore. There's no rollover. It's kind of like with the core and blood points, you you use them or lose them. Yeah, they're gone. It's the same kind of thing with this. And I like that mechanic. I think it, to a certain level, now, of course, there are always going to be armies and there are going to be rules that you can really buku up your, your command points for that turn. I get that. But overall, I think it levels the playing field. And I like that. Overall, the way the core battalions work, I think, levels the playing field to a certain point. Because those are available to everyone. Nobody gets any special, nutsy, crazy stupid war scroll battalions everybody gets the same ones now how people use them of course will be very different but the same thing with command points and i like that i like those kind of changes in this book brendan there are some things that are just annoying like the one you pointed out to me about how artifacts are distributed and things like that that's just annoying but it is the rules so first let's spell that out so because you and i had this conversation but the listeners weren't there for that so one of the key elements is um it's called enhancements and enhancements are your command traits, your artifacts, your spells, all of those things, mount traits, things like that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that is spelled out with enhancements is that when you take a specific sub-faction, if you have a hero, and normally the way it used to work was the first time you give a hero that is, you know, this keyword or this war scroll, it has to be this artifact. And you went, okay, well, I'll just give somebody else an artifact. Which is what I was going to do. What you have to do now is if you have a hero in your army that has that appropriate keyword or war scroll, they must receive that artifact, and it must be first. Right. You have to give them the first artifact. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot get around it by giving somebody who's not that keyword <laughs> an artifact. If you have that keyword, you must give it to right. that unit. So your way around it is you don't take that hero. But typically, what that means is that you are removing an incentive that that sub-faction is giving you because you want to be taking that hero. Correct. To get that bonus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those kind of things. And again, overall, my thoughts on this as I read more and more of it are you just need to make choices. You know, you you need to choose. If if this is too much for you, well, then choose, you know, make a choice. Is it really, is it too much change for you? Maybe it is. Hopefully it's not. I think and for a lot of people who have just gotten into the game or, or relatively new, this is no big deal. This is easy because they weren't as familiar with the rules to begin with. So now this is their rules and this is what they're going to play the game with. Wonderful. And I think we just need to step back. People came up with the points and they did all this math hammering and, you know, down to two decimal places. This is how much the points change. Yeah, I get it. My hex rays went up by 20 points. My chain rest went up by 20% to use all their percentages and stuff. Okay, well then I need to look in other places and I need to see how these points are going to work for me because they are the points. This faction got this or that. Yeah, okay. Okay, I get it. And and there's no reason you can't 
you know, get a little salty when that stuff happens. That's fine. I think if you're a person who's surprised that the points went up, yeah. you're not paying attention. Yep. The board got smaller. Mm-hmm. We were never going to be playing our exact same armies at the exact same points level that they were on a smaller board. Now, a lot of folks losing their battalion and then adding the points changes ended up with literally the same models, mm-hmm. but it's a different army. Well, and the other thing, Brendan, too, is like when you talk about the points changes piece, you have to look again at overall, what did you get? You know, overall, how does that affect your army? Mm-hmm. You can't just say, oh, this went up or this went up. How, how did Put it on paper. You know, for me, you know, taking the Grimgast, that as a unit, I have to look at them differently now than I did before with a lot of things, coherency and all those things. So now they're back on the menu because I took the time to look at them differently rather than just go, ah, and scream and run around the room. And there's, it's okay. There's a time to do that. But then you need to calm down pop that can of beer open and sit down and go, okay, what am I going to do with what I see? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most important thing with all of this. Step back and just say, okay, I'm going to make this work. What do I need to do? Yep. I think that's the way to look at it. Go through it. Read it closely. Mm -hmm. Don't assume you know how it works. Yep. There are some very small details Mm. in this that will make a big difference in the way that this game is played. One of the things that you texted me last night, Dan, was about the pylon rules. Yes. The pylon rules now one word you are towards the nearest units. No longer the model. Yeah. The nearest units. So fundamental change. You can move around models within the unit, bringing more models into combat as long as you're able to maintain, you know, the new coherency rules. That's a big deal. But the change was one word. Yes. <laughs> that was it. The importance of reading this closely, taking notes, Mm -hmm. reading a page, stepping back, asking yourself the question, what did I just read? Mm -hmm. What does it mean? And they have like these nice little sidebars that that do some of that explaining for you. But there are going to be times that as you're reading it, you go, ah, okay, read it again. Then solidify that information. Take notes. Print out the core rules. Write all over it. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing. Use your resources. You know, if you're in a community, I mean, I, I'm probably annoying you with all the things I spot, but I just want to verify it's what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, like with the pylon thing, that's what I saw. And I wanted to make sure it was what the intention was. Well, and this is so new to me, too, that when yeah. I'm getting asked the questions, I go, I need to go make sure. And so I'll yeah. go and I'll open up my core rules and I'll look through it and I'll go, Yes, you know, that's correct. Or, you know, if it was a question that somebody had asked me and I had already done that before, mm-hmm. I go, yes, I looked that up. I know that that is correct. Yeah. That is the answer. And so use the other people. Use your friends. Use other people that you know. Use social media. Get out there and ask questions about stuff to get yourself more familiar with what's going on before we're able to sit down with you and specifically go over the book itself and what it means. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that show. I think it's going to be great. There's going to be a lot of details that that we Mm -hmm. get into. So it's not going to be a long episode like the Soul Blight one was. This is going to be one that feels long and you're probably going to want to not be doing too much else while you're doing it because Mm -hmm. there are going to be minute details that are going to be explained and elaborated on and context pulled from, you know, other places within the game and given and made example towards. Sure. Perfect. So I know I'll definitely be having uh, quite a few notes on my side of the table <laughs> to be ready for that one specifically. Yeah, but and I've already started marking up my my rules as you had said, so I know what to talk about as well. So. Yeah, read it carefully, guys. It it's important, but you got to just take the time to do it. Sit down, read it, read a couple pages a day, read it all at once, come back to it a couple times, read it again. 
play the game with the you know with a friend with the the rule book open mm-hmm. and both discover rules you know your friend's going to know something you don't you're going to know something you can answer each other's questions mm-hmm. as you're playing and you'll learn it's kind of like you're relearning the game yeah because that's really what this is about <laughs> yeah this isn't a handbook update where we say oh well there, there's these two like little rules that kind of change some stuff for us and here are the new missions and all that no 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 there's 44 new pages fundamental change in the correct game, in the way it plays yep yeah, so all good. best of luck to all of you in figuring it out. Uh, we'll talk more 3.0 in a couple of weeks, and yeah. it'll obviously be a, a more expansive yeah. and full conversation. Absolutely. Okay, thanks, Brittany. Whoa. On to Kragnos. Yeah, let's talk about the big man. What we're going to do real quickly, obviously there are a lot of War Scroll Battalions in here. And, and we're not going to talk about them. We're not going to talk about them because we know that in a competitive game, Pitch battles, War Scroll Battalions in books, in published books, are no longer valid on the competitive scene. So no reason to really talk about those, but there are plenty of other things. There are War Scrolls in here for individual units. There are sub-factions that are here, some new ones. And there's a lot of stuff, actually, Brendan, in here, if you look at it from a, an overhead view. So a lot of things to talk about. But let's talk about the big guy. And why don't you go through him? There are a couple of things in here that are just insane looking at them. Yeah, so Kragnos is our latest greatest and greatest god level model in the game of Age of Sigmar. He clocks in in this book at 795 points mm-hmm. yeah. and in the New General's handbook he's 690. So Yeah, he came down. He's yeah, he's 760 here. He came down 60 points, 70 points. Yeah. Just yep. a, just a few. Uh, so he is a monster with a movement table that goes down from 10 to 7, 18 wounds, a 2-up save, and bravery 10. He has three melee profiles, the first of which is the mace, which is 3-inch range, 6 attacks, 3s by 2s, ren 3, damage 4. <laughs> the tusk breaker, so which is 1-inch range, 3 attacks, 3s by 2s, uh, ren 2, damage d3. And the hooves of rack and ruin, which is a 1-inch range, attacks are 6 down to mm. 3. Threes by twos, rend one, damage two. Quite the profile, and you know we'll talk about it in the context of 3.0 a little bit. It's very easy to get plus one to hit because it's a command ability that's for free. He can very easily be twos by twos for the entire battle, mm-hmm. Yep, which is amazing. It's also easy to throw a mystic shield on him, the new one, and, and give him one up. up so he can... You got some rend, he's going to go, fine, I still have a two up, and I'm, I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tough, tough guy. Yeah, if he's included in your army, he is treated as a general in addition to the model that is chosen to be the general. And you can include Kragnos in a destruction army even if he does not have the army's keyword on his war scroll. If you do so, he cannot use or benefit from any of that army's allegiance abilities, and you cannot include any mercenary units in your army. So be it. Uh, And then he's got a full page of abilities here. So he has the Bellow of Rage, is at the end of any phase in which any wounds were allocated to this model and not negated. You roll a dice for each other unit and each defensible terrain feature within six inches of this model. If the roll is equal to or greater than the Bellow of Rage value, which goes from a five up to a two up, each all of that suffers D3 mortal wounds or that defensible terrain feature is demolished. Mm-hmm. And then in this rule, it explains what defensible terrain features are. Uh, but that is also explaining your 3.0 core rules mm-hmm. because that is going to be a specific type of terrain. He also has the destroyer of the Draconith Empire. You can reroll charge rolls and hit rolls for this model while it was within 12 inches of any enemy keyworded star drakes, drakes, dracoths, or dracolines. You know, because there's just tons of those running around. This next one is just has the potential to be nuts. So oh. this rule is specifically, I think, why our friend Nick McKenna bought this model. Yeah, of course. Of course it is. Uh, because this is like this is just 
a rule that like embodies the way he looks at the game of Warhammer. Yes. So after this model makes a charge move, you can either roll a dice for each enemy unit that is within one inch of this model, which in and of itself is pretty good, or you can pick one enemy keyworded monster within one inch of this model and roll 2d6. Mm-hmm. If you roll a dice for each enemy unit within one inch of this model, on a two-up, that unit suffers d6 mortal wounds. Pretty good. And in addition, at the end of your charge phase, you have things that are called monstrous rampages in 3.0, where you can do another d3 mortal wounds, or you can mm-hmm. hand out some other stuff. Or, if you pick one enemy monster within one inch of this model and roll this... 2d6, on a 7, nothing happens. <sighs> on any other roll... That keyword monster suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to the score of the dice used for the 2d6 roll multiplied together. For example, a 2d6 roll of a 2 and a 6 would inflict 12 mortal wounds. (laughs) It's so crazy! Which means that a roll of... A 5 and a 4 is 20 mortal wounds. Sure. Dude, (laughs) that's crazy! It's pretty good. That is not... That's gonna kill anything. It's just... It's going to kill a lot of stuff. Yeah, a lot of things. The only thing that he can kill that, like, really a 20 is Archeon, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Mega Gargants. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can bring down a Mega Gargant off the charge is if you roll two sixes. Right. Which right. you can spend a command point to reroll your charge roll and go fishing for numbers because if you see the seven pop up. Sure. And you're sitting on a bunch of these command abilities in a use it or lose it situation. Why not roll the dice if you think you can, yeah. you're, you're going to connect anyways? Right, exactly. Or also just get into combat and fight with him because that profile is bananas. Yes, that is nuts. Uh, he has the icon of destruction. Add one of the bravery characteristic of friendly destruction units wholly within 12 inches of this model. Okay. Fine. And then he has the shield in Volet. Each time this model is affected by a spell or an endless spell ability, you can roll 3d6. If the roll is greater than the casting value of that spell or endless spell, ignore the effects of that spell or that endless spell ability on this model. The average roll is a, a 10 or 11. On yeah, average. Correct. And it says in the designer's note here to use the casting value on the spell or endless spell's war scroll, not the casting roll for the spell or endless spell. Yeah. How many spells have a casting value greater than eight? Count them on one hand? Probably. Maybe, yeah. yeah maybe. I mean, so yeah, two, three dice, you have to roll an eight. Or better, right? Okay. You know, Nagash rolls up with his, hey, I'm going to do eight of those new arcane bolts on you. And he's like, no. Cool. I'm going to roll eight five ups on three dice. And if you happen to sneak one through, fine. Yeah. Like, oh, oh my God. That is, that's crazy. So we'll point out a couple of things that he doesn't have, right? So he doesn't have fly. Right. And he doesn't have a mortal wound save. He has no after save. Correct. I don't think that's a big deal. Right. The reason I don't think that that's too big of a deal is a lot of the things that do mortal wounds come from spells. Yes. Now, there are things that trigger off of abilities that are on people's war scrolls, but if you're in combat with Kragnos, I'm fine with that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> he doesn't have fly, which could be a problem. That's the one of the two where when you're playing a good player who has those things, will find a way to keep your... 690 point model tied up for an mm-hmm. extended and protracted period of time right. or channel his movement mm-hmm. with a screen of some kind but keep them far enough away use terrain to your advantage that he has that to take a whole turn hey but here's a really cool thing dan i don't know if you know this there's a spell in the core rules that your wizards can take where mm-hmm. you can give models fly Ooh, i wonder what model you would give fly to. yeah i don't know <laughs> but you know if uh <laughs> If for some reason you were not able to give that model fly, yes, that is where you know some 
quality of play will differentiate itself. Sure. But you could know that your opponent is going to be doing this, and in order to do that, they have to commit a bulk of their resources to keeping this one model from going nuts. You still have 1,310 points of your army yeah. Yeah. to go do the rest of the winning. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Fine by me. Go ahead. Yeah. I think that this is going to be a model that ends up being like a real general's piece. People who succeed with Kragnos in bigger events are going to do so because they were the more creative player in many instances. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the way they're using him. And I think that there are some armies that I don't see him meshing very well with. You know, he doesn't do things that are... I don't want to say useful to to that army, but they already have characters in those roles who do something similar okay. and gain the abilities of the other armies. But things like Bone Splitters and things like Gloomspike Gits really could use a unit that is somebody that can punch well above sure. you know, their points value. Sure. So awesome. Yeah. Next up we have a revision for the Loon Shrine, Dan. Yes. yes You've played do. against the Loon Shrine a number of times, so I yeah. imagine that you actually probably know these rules by heart. They're similar but with a key difference here. Mm -hmm. So it's a single terrain feature, it's an obstacle. Army includes the Bad Moon Loon Shrine. After territories have been determined before armies are set up, you have to set it up wholly within your territory, more than twelve inches from enemy territory territory and more than one inch from objectives or terrain features. If both players can set up terrain features, you roll up, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so the first thing we have is that Gloom Spike gets units wholly within 12. Don't take Battleshock test. Yep. That's no change. The other thing we have here is the Moon Clan layers. And before, basically, this is the major change. If you had Shootas or Stabas that had been destroyed, you could bring half of that unit back out of the shrine. Out of the shrine, okay. But it was but it, only... Only gets, only grots. No matter what. Yes. It was only shooters and stabbers. But now, it is spider riders, it is squigs, and it is trogs. You can bring all of those units back at half strength within distance of the loon shrine. Depending on Depending. what your general's keyword is. That is correct. So if you are... A general with the spider fan keyword, it's spider riders. If you have a general with the squig keyword, it's squig herds, squig hoppers, bounders. And if you have a trogoth general, trogoth units. So with wounds characteristics of five or less, you can't. So yes. you can't bring back right. the trog bosses. <laughs> right, but you could bring back regular trogs. Yes, for sure. Which is and well. those are real neat because when you do the cut it in half, if you're running a, a three troll unit, yep, you get two of them back. Yep, that's. Not bad. No. And you get them back on a four-up. Yep. Which is great. Yeah. You're not going to get it all the time, but it's going to happen enough where you do get some good return. You know, getting back, you have a unit of six trolls, for example. You get three back. That's a lot of points. That's a lot of payback now. And I love it that there's so much flexibility for that Gloom Spike Gets player. That's great. So you don't have to just play grots mm -hmm. which is great you don't have to play just grots in order to get the ability the ability right you can be playing one of these other cool sub faction kind of things that we're going to talk about mm -hmm. okay so we got our first sub faction here as it were the jaws of mork you want to talk to us about that when you're playing gloom spike gets you now have kind of quote-unquote sub faction that you can get into so this first one is jaws of mork and this is built around the playing of squigs of all kinds <laughs> particularly yeah sure the first of which is an ability called Running Riot. You can reroll the roll that determines the move characteristics of friendly Jaws of Mork Squig units. Considering how swingy that is, that is so good. It's huge. So useful. Oh my god. So much of this game is about reducing variability and 
squigs are one of the highest <laughs> variable units in the game. So yes. bounding them into a lower standard deviation, yes, or a more centered standard deviation is is better. That's the, great. They have a command ability called Get Some Moonshine Down Them. You can use this command ability at the start of any phase. If you do so, pick one friendly Jaws of Mork Mangor Squigs model. Until the end of that phase, use the top row on that model's damage table, regardless of how many wounds it has suffered. So you're typically going to be using this in the movement phase or the combat phase if you are in that kind of middle bracket. Now, with the context of having more command abilities, not that Boomspike gets wherever really hurting for <laughs> having a bunch of command points, you can put the spend on them quite a bit more. Yeah, for sure. Command trait, a Jaws of Mork General must have this command trait. The Envoy of the Overbounder. You can reroll failed Battleshock test for friendly Jaws of Mork units holding within 12 inches of this general. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad one to have. No, no, no. And then the Artifact of Power, the first Jaws of Mork hero must be given the Sayari Screamer Squig. At the start of the enemy combat phase, you can pick one enemy hero within three inches of Sparrow. If you do so until your next hero phase, add one to hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by the bearer that targets that hero. There you go. Cool. And when you take that into the context of putting that on a loon boss on Mangler Squig, that's a decent artifact. The You still probably want to find a way to get the Clammy Cowl or the... Um, no, fight again the other day What's is the, the command trait. Yeah, there's another one. Yeah, there's another one. In this case, this yeah. isn't a bad one. No, the command trait you're giving up is tough because you want the fight again another day. Command traits on your Mangor Squig, but yeah. look, it makes the rest of your army good. Yep, you know, it, it makes it more reliable, and that's certainly not a bad thing to have. Okay, there were some battalions, but you know, pour one out for my homies. So the next one we have is Glog's Mega Mob, and this is a Trog quote subfaction. Mm-hmm. It's still Gloom Spike gets. Yep, but you know your your general is going to be a troll. Probably this is going to kick your guys up a little bit. So the first one is Monstrous Regeneration. Add one to the dice that determines if a friendly Mega Mob Trogeth heals any wounds with its regen and it's normally five up is it not i believe, I believe so. it's a five up you can check for us yeah well you're talking i'll go look but cool, man that's still really good it's again it's the same thing as what the squigs do right it's providing more reliability to units that could really benefit from having some reliability it's actually on a four up so this makes oh. it a three up so that wow. puts it in the category of very reliable yes so, good stuff. Oblivious to Sorcery. Here's another great one. You can use this command ability in your hero phase. If you do so, pick one friendly Fellwater Trog, Rock Gut Trog, or a Dankhold hero or that's within 12 inches of a Dankhold hero. And so your next hero phase, each time that unit is affected by a spell or endless spell, roll a dice if you do so on a four up. Ignore the results of that spell or endless spell. Now, normally, that's just something that the big Trogs have. Mm-hmm. And so this is something that goes down to the river trogs and the and the rock trogs. It's okay. Yeah. You know. yeah. All right. Then your command trait is shepherd of idiotic destruction. <laughs> I love this. This is great. Uh, if this general is part of your army and on the battlefield at the start of your hero phase, roll a dice on a four up, get an extra command point. Boom. There you go. That's stacking it up. Yep. You're going to get some already. So good stuff. And then the artifact is the Aether Quartz Studded Hide. Roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to the bearer. On a five up, the mortal wound is negated. Okay, that's nice. Five yeah, up so after save. That's a five up ward. There is language and phrases for all of this nowadays. Yep. And so, Dan, one of your first forays into Age uh-huh. of Sigmar was with spiders. I love my spiders. And now the spiders have their own sub faction for Gloom Spike Gifts. This was my actual, my first real army because that soup army i don't count the first one mm-hmm. <laughs> that i had so yeah they god i had a lot of spiders why did i get rid of those darn it you have a two army rule that's <laughs> yes, why you got rid of them true and you traded them in for daughters oh 
<laughs> okay. Uh, so, and those were fine. Yeah, they were yeah. good too. So the first one, do you want to do this one or do you want me to do Because we got two coming up. So we got this one and then we have Alarial. I'd rather have you talk about Alarial if that's all right. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, okay. Death Grots of Shayish is the ability they have. So each time a... Spider Fang unit from this sub-faction is affected by a spell or an endless spell. You can roll a dice. If you do so on a 5-up, ignore the effects of that spell or endless spell. That's really good. That's really solid. It is. Yeah. Not bad. One out of three times. Right. And you are going to have your chances at unbinding things as well. Yeah. So having another layer of protection is fine. The reason I like this more than what we just covered with the trolls, right? Because if someone goes, well, hold on, Brendan. You just said like three minutes ago. Eh. This doesn't cost a command point. This is entirely passive. Everybody gets this. It's there for you all the time. Mm-hmm. Having to spend command points on something is basically telegraphing to your opponents. I know you want to do something here. I'm not going to have you do it. And your opponent just goes, okay, well, I'll just kill the other stuff then. And then I'll kill mm-hmm. this with the other things in my other phases. I don't like abilities like that. This is great. There you go. And then the next one is drawn to the ether glow. You can reroll hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly units if they target a wizard or a priest. There you go. And there's going to be more priests in 3.0. Yep. Command ability is Masters of Feigned Flight. You can use this command ability at the start of your movement phase, at the start of your movement phase, not in the movement phase. Mm-hmm. If you do so, pick one friendly unit wholly within 12 inches of a friendly Spider Fang hero. Until your next hero phase, that unit can retreat and still charge later in the turn. Retreat and charge is always powerful, so... Yeah, very nice. One of the things that's going to be important is in 3.0, you are not going to be able to issue the same command ability more than once per phase. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to just throw all of your units in and expect to be able to retreat and charge out. You're going to have to be very judicious in your decision making. Correct. You're going to have a lot of choices, but only a limited amount of resource to Mm -hmm. spend. When you are going to do the spending as the key element. Right. Yeah. Hey, the next one is the command trait, Prophet of the Spider God. Once per battle in the combat phase, you can say that this general will unleash their battle cry. If they do so, friendly spider fang models are treated as being affected by the light of the bad moon until the end of that phase. And if I remember correctly, for spiders, that means that you do mortal wounds betterer. Yeah, I think on a five up five instead of a instead. six up or something, I think that's it. That's yep. pretty good, especially if you just had a turn or a battle round where you were under the light of the bad moon. You can use this to just, just keep going. Yep. Yeah, that's great. So Artifact is the Shaishan Spider Sigils. Subtract one from bravery characteristics of enemy units while they're within six inches of the bearer. In addition, add one to bravery characteristics of friendly spider fang units while they're wholly within 12 inches of the bearer. Meh. Okay. That's all right. Okay, yeah. That's okay. Here she is. Alariel got a new war scroll a and lady. a points increase to come along with it. Yep. And what is she now? In the new, I, well, we can look. I, we I believe she stays up. the same here. Yes, yeah, where at it's seven forty is where it was. It's where it is in the I book believe here. so. Quite a price tag. She did get some upgrades. I don't know if it's enough still, but. I'll, you know, as we talk about it, we can make that decision. Okay. So again, a monster uh, with a table, movement 16 down to 12. So even when she's hurt, she's still going to be able to go pretty far. (laughs) Yeah. Three up save, which is great. When you're talking about Mystic Shield, that's going to be a two up in 3.0. Wow. Bravery 10 and 16 wounds. Cool. She has the Spear of Kurnoth, 24 inch range, one attack, twos by twos, rend two, damage six down to two. The Talon of Dwindling, a one inch range, four attacks, threes by fours, no rend damage one. And the Great Antlers from the Beetle, one inch range, four attacks, threes by twos, rend two, damage five down to damage one. Mm-hmm. Command ability for plus one to hit would make her 
uh, pretty reliable. The monster ability for Titanic Duel against another monster would make the Beetle twos by twos. The heroic abilities for their finest hour, where you turbocharge a hero, you know, we'll get into heroic actions next time, also pretty good. She can fly. No shock in a army. She is treated as the general in addition to mm-hmm. whoever is chosen as the general. She has life bloom in your hero phase. You can heal up to 2d6 wounds allocated to this God, model. That's crazy. That is going to be tough to beat. It's an average of seven. It, it wow. means you got to get her in one pass. Yep. In addition, you can heal d3 wounds allocated to each other friendly Sylvaneth unit wholly within 30 inches of this model. Roll separately for each unit. Mm-hmm. Living battering ram. 30 inches, though, man. It's, like, it's a big area. It's like almost the whole board now. <laughs> well, she she's always had... Yeah. Arranged like that for healing purposes on a sixty-six inch board, man. That's yeah. It's it is the entire table, <laughs> pretty much. So, living battering ram, roll a dice for each enemy unit within one inch of this model. After this model has made a charge move, on a one, nothing happens. On a two to five, that unit suffers D three mortal wounds. On a six, that unit suffers D six mortal wounds. Ouch. Okay. Uh, she has the soul amorphe. Once per battle, at the end of your movement phase, you can summon one of the following units to the battlefield. A unit of up to 20 Dryads, a unit of up to 10 Tree Revenants, a unit of up to 10 Spite Revenants, a unit of up to 3 Kurnoth Hunters, a Branch Witch, or a Tree Lord. Wow. Summon unit is added to your army, and it must be set up wholly within 9 inches of this model, and more than 9 inches from any enemy units. Okay. All right. That's a good list of things to pick from, especially in the context of reinforcement points, where you are limited to the number of units that you can have that exceed the minimum unit size basically getting another reinforcement set for free is pretty okay she has these swirling glow spites this model can retreat and still shoot and or charge later in the same turn and with a base movement of 16 she is going to be able to spring from one location to the other healing 2d6 every turn is going to make this pretty tough cookie to crack She's the Talon of Dwindling, which is, if you remember, is one of her close combat attacks. Mm -hmm. Uh, You roll a dice each time a wound is inflicted by this model's Talon of Dwindling, allocated to an enemy model and not negated. On a six, that enemy model is slain. On a one to five, the wound is negated. Mm -hmm. And she's a magic user? Yeah, she is a magic user. She has three casts and three unbinds. Wow, nice. And she knows all of the Sylvaneth uh, spells you're playing her in a Sylvaneth army, just like Nagash and Arcan, having that flexibility is going to be pretty useful in a number of different spots. So her base spell, Metamorphosis, has a casting value of a 7. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within 16 inches of the caster and visible them. Roll a number of dice equal to the casting roll. For each 3-up, that unit suffers one mortal wound. In addition, if that unit is destroyed by the mortal wounds caused by the spell before removing the last slain model from play, you can set up one Awakened Wildwoods terrain feature, wholly within 12 inches of that slain model, more than one inches from any other models terrain features or objectives and add it to your army that's great so you're using enemy models to fertilize your forest that's great right and for those of you who don't remember the sylvaneth wildwoods allow you to teleport between them so having more of them in different places of the battlefield is going to offer you more tactical flexibility as the course of the game goes on i wonder if there's a way in the new edition that you can get rid of terrain features yeah Hmm. Yeah, I wonder. Just a few. <laughs> she has the command ability, Gyran's Wrath. If this model's in your army, you can use this command ability at the start of the combat phase. If you do so, you can reroll wound rolls of one for attacks made by friendly Sylvaneth units wholly within Ooh. 14 of this model until the end of that wow. phase. That's okay. That talent of dwindling is a big deal. She has four attacks with that profile, and you are going to get multiple cracks at making that dice roll, probably. Model is slain, boy. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah, it's worth taking a chance on some really important models. Yes, it to is. To go after and go hunting. The Revenants. We have a new 
hero mm-hmm. in the Revenant category, yeah. who yeah. is a lot more than what they appear on the surface. And I think there is going to need to be some clarification on how their spell works. But we'll get into that in just a second. Yeah. So the Warsong Revenant is 8-inch move, 5-up save, bravery 8, 7-wound model. They are a hero, and so they are eligible for command traits and artifacts and, and the like. Sure. And they're a wizard, so... Mm. Yeah. They have a melee weapon, the Spearing Vines, 3-inch range, 5 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 1, damage 2, oh. which is pretty good pretty from good. a wizard. This is a, this is a hero that blends a lot of different elements together and uh, certainly poses some interesting questions. It can fly. They have Alario's Song, add one of the bravery characteristics of friendly Sylvaneth units while they are wholly within 12 inches of model, and subtract one from bravery characteristics of enemy units while they are wholly, while they are within 12 inches of any models with this ability, which means you can take multiple of them if you are so inclined. They have the Arboreal Cloak. Roll a dice each time you suffer a wound or mortal wound to this model. On a four-up, that wound or mortal wound is negated. Chew, man, it's a four-up ward save. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Which makes the five-up base save uh, quite a bit more palatable, right? A, yep. a five-up save on a seven-wound model is not going to get you too far in most circumstances, but that's a pretty good one. So you have the Wildwood Revenants. Add one to the casting, dispelling, and unbinding rolls for this model while it is within nine inches of any awakened Wildwoods. True. Wow. Hmm? Very nice. And this model is a wizard. It can cast two spells and unbind one. They know Arcane Bolt, Mystic Shield, Unleash Swarm of Spites. In addition, it knows all of the spells from the Sylvaneth lore. Whoa. Which... That's a lot of flexibility. So keep that in your pocket. Remember what I just said there. Okay. So they have a spell called Unleash Swarm of Spites. Unleash Swarm of Spites is a casting value of 7. If successfully cast, roll a number of dice equal to the casting roll for each enemy unit within 9 inches of the caster. For each 5 up, that enemy unit suffers 1 mortal wound. So at a minimum, you're going to be rolling 7 dice for every enemy unit within 9 inches. Mm-hmm. And for every 5 up, it's going to be a mortal wound. Okay. Is that casting value modified or unmodified? Mm. Because if it is modified... You get plus one from this war scroll by itself. Mm -hmm. You can get plus two, another plus two for a total of plus three from the Throne of Vine spell. And there are different ways that you can build heroes for more reliable casting outputs. But this doesn't say, this should say, to clarify it, the unmodified casting roll. Maybe. But not. Maybe not. Maybe. Yeah, maybe not. If that's the case, you can sit there and have, I think it's like plus five, I think is the top Mm. end, because Throne of Vines, I believe, stacks. So if you can be in a position to sit on its own on an objective that your opponent needs to be going to, good luck. Enjoy. This is just an absolute nuclear weapon of mortal wounds, potentially. This is one of the things that I hope gains some clarification when we get to the day one FAQ in and around that, because with no further context, my interpretation in reading that is it benefits from all of the benefits to to casting rolls for that spell. Crazy. Which is pretty good. You can have a couple of these guys in your army, too. You can have a couple of these guys in your army. <laughs> it's nuts, man. And they are relatively affordable for what it is that we just spelled out for you. They are 275 points. Okay. They're a good fighter. They're relatively durable. Yeah. They gain the benefit of Lookout Sir. And they do a gazillion billion mortal wounds, potentially, if you get close to them. Why don't you talk about the Awakened Wildwood? This is... Yeah, so the Awakened Wildwoods got a bit of a scroll rewrite 
here in Broken Realms Kragnos. I would imagine in the lead up to 3.0 here. Okay. So when you choose a Sylvaneth army, you can include one Awakened Wildwood Terrain feature. In addition, you may be able to add additional Awakened Wildwood Terrain features to the battlefield after the battle has started. Each Awakened Wildwood consists of one to three scenery pieces. After territories have been determined, you can set up any friendly Awakened Wildwood terrain features taken as part of your army wholly within your own territory, more than three inches from other terrain features and objectives. If both players can set up terrain features after priorities have been determined, players must roll off and the winner chooses to set up their terrain features first. Any abilities that allow you to add Awakened Wildwood terrain features to the battlefield will tell you how to set it up. In addition, they must be set up more than three inches from all other terrain features and objectives if an awakened wildwood has more than one scenery piece each piece must be set up touching all the other pieces to form a single circle with an area of open ground inside the circle the area of an open ground inside the circle is considered to be part of the awakened wildwood terrain feature so that's a lot of words Mm -hmm. what that means is there are no longer going to be these huge sprawling awakened wildwoods not that you know people are playing against tons and tons of sylvaneth these huge sprawling tree complexes it keeps it very simple from one to three Mm -hmm. that's it and you don't have to buy a million billion boxes to feel like you know you're doing what your army lets you do so they have uh, overgrown rules visibility between two models is blocked if a straight line one millimeter wide draws between the closest points of two models passes across more than three inches of an awakened wildwood visibility to or from models from a wounds characteristics of 10 or more is not blocked by a wildwood. Visibilities from units with the Sylvaneth word is not blocked by an awakened wildwood. So that's good. Your Sylvaneth stuff can see out of the trees. Good. That's the way it should be. Yes. And then they have the Vengeful Forest Spirits. At the end of the charge phase, roll a dice for each unit that does not have the Sylvaneth keyword that is within one inch of an awakened wildwood. Add two to the roll if any wizards or endless spells are within six inches of that awakened wildwood. Uh, Six plus, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Cool. Everybody knows to stay away. It clarifies some (laughs) stuff. It distills some things down, and it allows you to do things with your army that you probably should have been able to do with from the get-go. Here we are, and now it makes sense, I think. Cool. I think it makes sense. Clarification, that's important. So, Dan, why don't you talk about... Do you want to talk about the talent of Slanesh or the voice of Slanesh? The talent, I think. Okay. That's good. I saw that one. Okay, so that's Dex Sessa. Dex Sessa has a 12-inch move, 10 wounds, 4-up save, 10 bravery. It is a Slaneshi demon. It is a monster. It is a hero. It has two melee profiles. The Scourge's Slaanesh, which is 3-inch range. 4 attacks, 2 by 3s minus 1 ren, 2 damage. And Impaling Talents, 1 inch, 2 attacks, 3 by 3s minus 2 ren, and 2 damage. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. It can fly of course yeah it has a fleeting dance of death it can run or retreat and still charge in the same turn so this is an important clarification in uh, age of sigmar 3.0 you cannot retreat and run those are two separate rule ideas you can make a normal move you can run or you can retreat if you make a retreat move you cannot run you cannot run yes they are three unique individual ideas right okay so the next one is Joyous Battle Fury. After this model is fought for the first time at the start of each battle round, the start of each battle round, and that comes up with a set of sequencing that we're going to talk about in 3.0, mm-hmm. which is important because they really clarified sequencing in the combat. At the start of each battle round, add one to the attacks characteristic of this model's weapons for the rest of the battle. This effect is cu- wow, is cumulative. Yes. Woof. Right. So in okay. the first turn, right. you cannot get plus one. Okay, so you could so though... At, so at most, in battle round three, you could have six 
six attacks and four attacks. <laughs> that's, that's ten attacks with this. Correct. Damage two apiece. Minus one and minus two Ren. And for those of you who do or don't remember, the Keeper of Secrets can give you the ability to fight twice. Mm-hmm. So this is a character who is pretty reliable in terms of their damage output and would be able to, under the right conditions, be able to to throw damage twice. Okay. And she has no table. She's a monster, but with no table. Yeah, 10 wounds. A mesmerizing Lepidoptera. I think that's right. <laughs> um, it's her wings, which are amazing. This model is really cool looking. Subtract one from hit rolls. Okay, there you go. Yeah, it doesn't shooting, say combat. Anything. Just minus one. Any hit rolls. And then we have the Scepter of Slanesh. Do not take Battleshock test for a Slanesh demon unit only within 12. In addition, once per turn yours or your opponents. This model can issue a command to a friendly Sunesh demon unit without command point being spent. Big deal. Ooh, that's huge in the new... Yeah. You have a lot of different command abilities that you're going to want to spend. Wow. You know, she doesn't have too many that, you know, she would have access to. Obviously, she has none on her war scroll, but you don't have a lot of things that you would be able to do from your sub-factions, but there is a lot of things that you can do in your new set of rules where they have designed interactability between you and your opponents in 3.0 during every phase of both players' turns. Okay. So picking your spots with that one is going to be useful. Okay. Uh, so then the other one, Sinessa, the voice of Slanesh is the casting version, is a monster as well. Slanesh, Hedonite, you know, hero, all the good stuff. So eligible for heroic actions, eligible for monstrous rampages. 12-inch move, Forp save, bravery 9, or sorry, bravery 10, 9 wounds. Is the Staff of Slanesh, which is an 18-inch range, 1 attack, and a very special table. For the Staff of Slanesh, do not pick a target or use the attack sequence for an attack made with this model's Staff of Slanesh instead. Pick one enemy unit within range of this model's Staff of Slanesh invisible to them. The opposing player must roll a dice for that unit. If the roll is less than the unit's save characteristic, but not a 6, the unit suffers d6 mortal wounds. If the roll is equal to or greater than the unit's save characteristic, but not a 6, the unit suffers d3 mortal wounds. On a 6, nothing happens. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's something. It has the Impaling Talons, which is one-inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, Ren 2, damage 2. Of course. You know, not a lot there, but... Obviously, if you get in, you don't feel too bad about what it is that you can kick back. Now, this one also has minus one to hit, correct? Yep. Yep. Flies and minus one to hit for targeting them. Okay. This is the voice of Slanesh. If this model issues a command to one friendly unit, it can be anywhere on the battlefield as long as it's visible to this model. The range of the command ability does not apply. If this model issues a command to more than one friendly unit, one of those friendly units can be anywhere on the battlefield as long as it's visible to this model. The range of the command ability still applies to the other units. In addition, if this model successfully casts Whispers of Doubt, which we'll talk about in a second, or Pavane of Slanesh, which is one of the spells... In Hedonites, right? In Hedonites. Okay. Uh, affected by the spell can be anywhere on the battlefield as long as that hero is visible to this model. The range of the spell does not apply. Wow. Pretty good. They are a one-cast, one-unbind wizard. In addition to the Whispers of Dao, Arcane Bolt, Mystic Shield, they know all the spells from the lore of Slanesh, the Forbidden Sorceries of Slanesh, and the lore of Pain and Pleasure. So that's all of the three lores that you have in the Hedonites book. Hmm. And the Whispers of Doubt spell is a six. If successfully cast, pick one enemy hero within three inches of the caster and visible to them, and roll 3d6. If the roll is equal to or greater than that of the hero's bravery characteristics, add one to hit rolls for attacks that target that hero until your next hero phase. Okay. The being one cast, one unbind is a little rough. There's not really anything you can do to augment that because they are unique characters. Yes. So, eh. 
I don't know. Between the two of them, though, it's really tough to look at the output that the Talon of Slanesh does and say, mm. boy, I don't want a piece of that. They are 280 and 260 respectively, so... Sure. Thankfully, that's an affordable price tag. I think their prices change in the uh, General's Handbook, but I don't have that in front of me right now. They're all right. I'm not super sold on the voice. The talent I, I can find a home for, okay. I think, is kind of a keeper light. And pairing them with a keeper, you can really rip through some enemy units. But you know, they are Slanesh Demons. They are fragile. That's mm-hmm. you know, Thankfully, the minus one to hit. You know, gets around that a little bit, but doesn't take much. We got a new free city. Yep, Excelsis. Yeah. All right. Excelsius is the city of secrets. Mm-hmm. This army must be from Gur. When you are picking where you are from, that is the benefit that you would be taking. But things are going to be changing here shortly, so mm-hmm. the benefits you get from Gur are going to be different, I imagine. I would think so. You get the gift of prophecy once per phase when you pick a friendly unit to shoot or fight. You can say that attack has been prophesized. If you do so, roll a dice on a one, subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by that unit in that phase. On a two to six, add one to hit rolls for attacks made by units in that phase. Okay. I'll take that risk most of the time. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) And then you have the command ability, Riposte. You can use this command ability at the start of the combat phase. If you do so, pick one friendly Excelsius unit wholly within 12 inches of a friendly Excelsius hero. If the unmodified save roll for an attack that targets that unit in that combat phase is a six, the attacking unit suffers one mortal wound after all of its attacks have been resolved. Okay. Eh, you know, that's not too bad. Mm-hmm. Especially if you are going to be taking damage from something that has kind of a, a large of. characteristic and you have a pretty reliable save roll. Uh, that's certainly not a bad thing to have. And then we've got our command traits, Dan. Oh, yeah, we get to pick, don't we? Yes. Yeah, what did you pick? I really like Cunning Foe. This general mm-hmm. can retreat and still charge in the same turn. If they do so until the end of the turn, add one to hit rolls for attacks made by the general and subtract one from hit rolls that target them. Okay. I like in the right place just because I like sneaky deployment and all those kind of things. So at the start of the first battle round, you can pick D3 friendly units and set them up again. Any restrictions in the setup instructions for the battle plan being used still apply. That's okay. Boy, you're opponent goes heavy left heavy right all of a sudden you can pick all your guys up and say oops sorry or you can bait them into 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 those setups and and then switch it up on them so i think that one's valuable for sure uh we have heirlooms yeah did you pick for that the return of an old favorite yeah helped me do a lot of tournament winning the griff feather charm yes subtract one from hit rolls for attack the target the bearer in addition add one to the bearer's move characteristic. It is important to note in 3.0, you're going to be limited to a sum total cumulative modifier of plus or minus one to hit and wound or plus one to save. Mm -hmm. There is no cap on minuses to your save because that's how rend works. So unfortunately, you're not going to be able to stack this too much with lookout, sir. You will still get a minus two, which would offset somebody else's plus one. But Ultimately, at the end of the day, this is probably something you want to put on a monster who isn't going to be able to benefit from Lookout, sure. sir. That makes sense. Spells, yeah. Dan. What do you got? <laughs> this one was... I don't know. This was tough. So these are this all is... old spells yeah. from Realm spells that were removed in Handbook 2020. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, these were none of the good uh, <laughs> right. Gur spells, which is a so, bummer. I don't know. It's just tough because they're all kind of mediocre, like you said. I pick Flock of Doom. It has a casting value of six. If successful, pick one enemy unit within 18 inches of the caster that's visible to them and roll 12 dice. For each six, it suffers one mortal wound. This is kind of like swords, you know? You roll 12 dice and any sixes, you're getting a mortal. 
Yeah. So it kind of like that. You might roll out two or three mortal wounds if you get get some good rolling going on. How about you? So I like Cower in the context of 3.0. Okay. The Cower is a casting value of a six. If successfully cast, pick one enemy monster within 12 inches of the caster that is visible to them and roll 2d6. If the roll is higher than that of the monster's bravery characteristic, that monster cannot make a charge move in your opponent's next turn. Especially when you consider that monsters are highly incentivized in 3.0 and have to charge and have the ability to use the monster's rampage. Uh, keeping them from doing so ends up being a pretty big deal. Okay. Dan, why don't you talk about our two witch hunters? Because I know these are models that you were very excited to see. Yeah, very cool. And both of them include what I think is maybe the single coolest rule. I don't know that it's very good. The single coolest rule in Age of Sigmar. Is this banishment? It is. Okay, so we'll talk about it. So we have Duralia and we have Galen, then Dest in its uh, father-daughter pair. So we'll talk about Duralia first. Both of them, well, he moves a little faster, but otherwise they're the same. So she has five-inch move. He has six-inch move. They have five wounds, four-up save, eight bravery. She has a crossbow, which is 24 inches. One attack, three-up, three-up, minus two, two damage, respect. And then Witch Hunter's Sword, which is three attacks, three by three, minus one, one damage. So, okay. Grim Resolve, each time you roll the die, allocate a wound or mortal wound to this model. It has a five-up ward save. Okay. Here we go. Sure shot. Add one to the attack characteristics of this model's crossbow and one to the hit rolls for attacks made with the crossbow if this model has not made a move. So, two attacks, three up, or two up to hit. And then Weapon of Banishment. Double the damage characteristic of an attack made with this model's weapons if the target is a wizard or a demon. In addition... Well, so so talk about that one real quick. Okay. That means it's a damage four crossbow. That is correct. Yeah. If you've got somebody who's already got a you know five wound hero that's already got a wound or two picked off, that could do it in. Pretty easy. And... In addition, when this model fights or shoots, he can choose an endless spell to be the target of any of its attacks. If you do so, roll a dice to see if that attack scores a hit. I love this. This is so cool. If it does, do not make a wound or save roll. Instead, roll 2d6. If the roll is greater than the casting value, that's just so cool. It's dispelled. It's just, like, awesome. You can shoot an endless spell and it blows up. That's so cool. It is a point of interaction that we have never had the opportunity to participate in before. It's wonderful. I I think it is so neat. I think it is so creative. I'm glad it is limited to this really unique situation. I hope this isn't a rule that we see a lot of uh, aggregated across. I would like it to be kept special because chances are you're probably not taking the Vendance. No, probably not. But if you are, this is going to be a really cool interaction that you are going to have with your opponent on the table. At some point, you'll probably have explained it to them and they'll go, yeah, okay. And then you'll do it and they go, huh, that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. But you know, and if you do play narratively, if you're going to play some pickup games and you have a little bit of story driven stuff, this is really cool. Hmm. This is really fun. This would be a very narrative thing if you had something set up where there were endless spells running around and things like that. You know, you can almost send them on a hunt kind of a deal. But anyway, very cool. Galen is pretty much the same profile in terms of move, wound, save, and bravery. He has a pistol, which only has a 9-inch range, but it has three attacks, three by three, minus one, one damage, and a broadsword, which has six attacks, three by three, minus one, one damage. And he has a five-up ward save, as his daughter does. He is an agile opponent. He can retreat and still shoot and or charge in the same turn. And again, weapons of banishment, it's the same as it is for her. He's really interesting because the way it's worded, you would get to roll a banishment roll for every pistol shot. Yeah, he's got three shots. Yeah. Yeah, great. 
So you get three chances. Yeah, and there's a lot of endless spells that have, you know, five, six, seven casting value. So three chances, you got a good shot of blowing something up. I would certainly hope so. Yeah, very nice. I love it. Even the higher casting value things, you, you'd have a good crack at. Okay, so we have the croak. The croak. The, the croak. The new croak. <laughs> oh my gosh, the model, of course, is spectacular. It's needed updating desperately, but it's really great. But Brendan, it, this is just... This is just crazy. This is just stupid. Is it? It is. For 480 points, I think it's 480 points or something. Mm-hmm. To me, this is just stupid. You go over it, but I'm going to interrupt when I think there's a stupid alert. When you think alert. it gets done? Okay. Give me a stupid alert. All right. So, Croak has been elevated uh, in rules application to being another god-level character mm-hmm. and has a model to reflect it as such. Yep. Five-inch move, four-up save, bravery nine, 18 wounds. He has an Azerite Force Barrier, which is a 3-inch range. The attack's characteristic is defined elsewhere, but it's a 3s to hit, 3s to wound, Ren 1, 1 damage. In terms of the attack's characteristic, it is equal to the number of enemy models within 3 inches of the attacking model when the number of attacks made with the weapon is determined. Count each enemy monster as 5 models for the purpose of this rule. Mm-hmm. That can be pretty alright. Yeah. So then you have Arcane Vassal. Uh, he can fly, obviously. Yeah. Uh, he's Arcane Vassal. When this model attempts to cast a spell before making the casting roll, you can pick either one friendly Skink Wizard, that's within 12 inches of this model, or one friendly Oracle anywhere on the battlefield. Quite the deadly combination. If you do so, and the spell is successfully cast not unbound, you must measure the range and visibility for the spell from that Skink or Oracle. There's nothing stopping you from picking the Oracle every time you cast a spell. And he is a forecast foreign bind wizard, so pretty okay. He has been dead for innumerable ages. Mm-hmm. At the end of each phase, if any wounds or mortal wounds are allocated stupid to this model, alert. okay, this is just stupid. All right, go ahead, finish up. If any wounds it's... or mortal wounds are allocated to this model, roll three d six. This is at the end of each phase. Yeah, roll three d six and add the number of wounds and mortal wounds allocated to this model to the roll. On a twenty plus, this model is slain. Any other roll, all wounds and mortal wounds allocated to this model are negated. So I just so three d six. We're talking ten or eleven on average. We're just doing the math mm. hammer. So I just did in the shooting phase. I did eight wounds to this guy. I won't be able to kill him on average. There's a fifty percent chance that he dies. And, and here's the other thing: those eight wounds just go away. Correct. And then I have to start all over again in the combat phase. Correct. And then the next combat phase and shooting phase, I have to start all over again. And start all over again. And start all over again. But that presumes that you're always losing that coin flip, Dan. Correct. You can do three wounds to him, and your opponent has a one in 216 chance yeah, sure. of rolling three sixes. Of course. And the model dies. Of course. Or, you know, he took a deadly terrain check, rolled a three, and then his movement phase, he dies. But he can also slough wounds, can he not, still? So he can, yes, yeah. with the Soros Guard. They're yeah. still eligible to do that, and that's a Soros Guard rule. Okay, yeah. It just Man, he seems like he's going to be like Hilarial. He's going to be really hard to get rid of. He's going to be very tough to kill. Really tough. But the difference between him and Hilarial is he is subject to some really poor dice fates. Yeah, I mean, he's very swingy that way. Mm-hmm. That is very swingy. Agreed. There's going to be times where your opponent that. does 100 wounds to him over the course of a game and he doesn't oh. die. Right. Yeah. And there's going to be times where your opponent does 5 wounds to him. And he's dead. And he's dead. Sure. There is always that chance. Yeah. Right. So he has impeccable foresight at the start of your hero phase. Roll 3 dice for this model. For every 4 up, you receive a command point. <laughs> Not just 1 dice. 3 dice. Yes. 
that it's useful. It's good. No, it's really good. Add two. To, well, I mean, he's a god level character. He yeah. is the he is the supreme master of order. Add two to the casting, dispelling, and unbinding <laughs> rolls to this model. Please. In addition, this model can attempt to unbind uh, enemy spells that are cast anywhere on the battlefield and attempt to dispel endless uh, spells anywhere on the battlefield. Uh, okay. Okay. Forecast for Unbind Wizard. In addition, he knows all the spells from the lore of Celestial Domination. I have really enjoyed seeing that inclusion for mm-hmm. wizards that are mm-hmm. supposed to be masters of mm-hmm. that kind of lore. Sure. I really like that. I really sure. like seeing it. Mm-hmm. He has Celestial Deliverance. This caster can attempt to cast a spell up to three times in the same hero phase. The first time you cast it is a 7, the second time you attempt to cast it is an 8, and the third time you attempt to cast it is a 9. Each time this spell is successfully cast, pick up to 3 different enemy units within 10 inches of this caster, invisible to them, and roll 1 dice for each unit you pick. On a 2-up, it suffers D3 mortal wounds. If it is a cast demon, on a 2-up, it suffers 3 mortal wounds instead of D3 mortal wounds. And remember, you can cast these through the Oracle. Sure. Or Skink Wizard. Sure. Comet's Call is a casting value of a 7. If successfully cast, you can pick up to D3 enemy units anywhere on the battlefield. Each of those units suffers D3 mortal wounds. Roll separately. If the casting value was 10 plus, pick up to D6 different units instead of up to D3. That's fine. Chip damage. Then he has the command ability Supreme Gift from the Heavens. It couldn't just be a gift from the Heavens. It had to be Supreme Gift from the Heavens. Of course. He is the supreme master he's of order. The croak, he's, yeah. he's not just the master of order. He's the supreme master of order. <laughs> he's the croak. He is the taco crunch burrito supreme. Yeah, of course. You can use this command ability uh, in your hero phase. If you do so, pick up to D3 friendly Seraphonias wholly within 18 inches of a friendly model with this command ability. Croak. Until your next hero phase, those <laughs> units can fly and can add one to save rolls for attacks made with missile uh. weapons that target those units. You can use this command ability only once per hero phase. Mm. It's an okay command ability. Yeah, sure. It helps you stave off the shooting attacks. The nice thing is, though, in 3.0, you can only receive one command ability per phase. This ability going off in your hero phase means that you can use the the other command abilities that you have access to in those same other phases. Okay. Crazy croak. Man. Pretty, 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 For 480 pretty points, good. pretty good. Yeah, so we have Skaven battle traits for the clan Molder mm-hmm. here. Yeah, uh, we got some stuff. And some scryer things, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that, Dan? Or? Yeah. We have teachings of the horned rat, right? We're going to start with that. So when you select a weapons team unit, other than a warp grinder to be part of your army, pick one friendly unit of clan rats or storm vermin that has 10 or more models and is already part of your army to be the unit in which that weapons team is hiding. Record this information on a piece of paper. Do not set up the weapon team unit until it is revealed as described next. You can hide up to one weapon team unit in a clan rats or storm vermin unit for every 10 models in the clan rats or storm vermin unit. So if they're 20, you could hide two weapons teams. Yep. Oh boy. Okay. At the start of your shooting phase, you can reveal one or more of your hidden weapon teams. If you do so, set up each hidden weapon team wholly within three inches of the unit. It was hiding in and more than three inches from enemy units. The weapon team can shoot in the turn in which they are revealed as long as the unit they were hiding in did not run in the same turn. But it could have retreated. It could have retreated, yeah. It just can't have run, right? Can't have run. In addition, at the end of your charge phase... You can reveal one or more hidden weapon teams units that were hiding in the unit made that made a charge move. Oh, wow, okay, in a charge move. If you do so, set up the weapons team. Yep. And it can And it can fight in the following combat phase. Right. So there are some weapon teams that are better that are designed for close quarters action, and then right. there are some weapons teams that are designed for rain. 
Okay, so we have mutations, right? Mm-hmm. Hell pit abominations and rat ogres are the mm-hmm. two things that can take these, correct? Correct. Okay. And you can choose for it to have a mutation instead of adding D3 to its wounds characteristic and it only hits a one. Is that what we're saying? Yes. Okay. So if you take Molder in the Skaven book, you get these things... Or you can have the things that we're about to talk about here in these two tables. It becomes an either-or situation. You don't don't get both. So you can take what's in the book or you can take these. Mm -hmm. And you can interchange that between the different ones. Okay. And the Fighting Beast unit will have the Clan Molder mutation, then choose or roll. A Fighting Beast unit cannot have more than one Molder mutation, and an army may not include duplicates of the same mutation. Okay. So, Dan, what do you like here? Okay, I like the um, Tough and Sinews. Okay. That the Abomination has a wounds characteristic of 14 and a save of 4-up. I like that. That seems pretty good. And then I like Accelerator Regen. Because you can use the regenerating monstrosity ability in your enemy hero phase as well as your own hero phase. So you can use it twice in that battle round. I really like that one too. I like that one. Because they are kind of tough to die. Uh, They are kind of tough to kill, which leads into the other one that I like, which is the never, never die, die. You can can reel the dice when you use this help it abominations too horrible to die ability. It is so annoying when, really in any army, it doesn't just mean, it's just not help at abominations, it's anything. Mm-hmm. It is so annoying when you have put the work in to kill the model and it stands right back up. That drives me nuts. And then in terms of rat ogres. Yeah, what do you think? They come in units, so yep. this is a this is a bit of a different one. I can see value in all of them. I think I'll take the Insanely Rabid. The unit's tearing claws, blades, and fangs have an attack characteristics of six. In addition, you can reroll charge rolls for this rat ogre unit. Sure, that makes sense. Because you're going to have multiple, right? Multiple models. It's a three ogre unit. And so every one of them is going to have six attacks mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. And you can reroll charge rolls so they get locked in. Yeah. Have a better chance of getting locked in. And it's not like these are the craziest unit in the game. They're relatively inexpensive. But when you are talking about a just a, a little... A small little unit where you have six attacks that are four by threes, rend one, damage two. They were four, they are now six. And the unmodified hit roll being a six, it inflicts two hits instead of one. You are increasing your odds by 50% Mm -hmm. that you are going to be able to make those dice rolls. And being six attacks apiece almost effectively ensures that you're going to get at least one off of every model. It increases your reliability. Okay. So. All right. Cool. What about you? Well, that's the same one. Okay. That's right. Yeah, I like that a lot because I looked up rats and it's like, yeah, cool. If they can do more damage, then that's good, good, as they would say. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so then we have, last but not least here, we have some Beast of Chaos rules that got updating. Ah, uh, how nice. Yeah, how very considerate. So in addition to whatever is in your Beast of Chaos battle tome, you also get these and they're fine. You have the gore battle fury. You can reroll charge rolls for one friendly, uh, rerolls for friendly gore units that were in reserve units in ambush and have been set up on the battlefield in the same turn. Mm-hmm. It's only the turns in which they are set up from ambush that that rule is effective. The war herd charge. Uh, this is for after a friendly war herd unit makes a charge move, pick one enemy unit within one inch of that unit and roll a dice. Add to the roll if that war herd unit is a hero, so your doom bull, or has more than three models and more than three, not equal to or greater mm-hmm. than. On a 4-up, the enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds at the end of that charge phase. It's kind of an impact hit kind of a deal. Yeah, you don't get it for your Gorgon or Cygor, which is a little weird, but 
is what it is. You still get to make the roll. It only triggers on a four up. It's two ups for your heroes and units of more than three. I don't know why the Gorgon or Saigor wouldn't be part of that categorization, but whatever, I guess. They're not. Then you have the Raging Storm at the end. What, Dragon Ogres, These are for your Dragon Ogres, yep. At the end of the combat phase, you can roll a dice for each friendly Thunderscorn unit that is on the battlefield. Add two to the roll if it is a Thunderscorn hero. Dragon Ogre Shagath. You know, it just <laughs> could be anything or has more than three models on a four up. You can heal one wound allocated to that unit. Okay. Then roll a dice for each enemy unit within one inch of any friendly Thunderscorn units. Add two to the roll if any of those Thunderscorn units are heroes or if there are more than three Thunderscorn models within one inch of that unit. On a four up, the enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, sure. Then we got some more scroll updates, Dan. Now, why don't you talk about this guy? Because he is one of your favorites. He is one of my favorites. Yeah. I wish he was a little bit better. The Beast Lord, six inch move, Forp save, bravery seven, five wounds, and they die like nothing. The paired man ripper axes, one inch range, six attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. This model can run and still charge later in the same turn. Able to keep up with the units that also run and charge. Like best of gores. Yeah, best of gores or gores. Just. Yeah. Basically, everything that army has run in charge. Here's the Grizzly Trophy, which used to be a command ability. If any enemy models are slain by wounds inflicted by this model's attacks in the combat phase, you can add one to the wound rolls for attacks made by friendly Brayherd units wholly within 18 inches of this model. To the end of that phase, in addition, if any enemy heroes or monsters are slain by wounds inflicted by this model's attacks in the combat phase, you can add one to hit rolls for attacks made by friendly Brayherd units Holy within 18 inches of this model until the end of that phase. Same unit cannot benefit from this command. So the rule is the same, but now it is part of his war scroll. Yes, it's not a command ability. All right. Which is good because spending a command point on it felt dumb. Okay. He still retains hatred of heroes. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made by this model's paired man ripper axes that targets a hero is a six, that attack scores two hits on the target instead of one. Okay. Make a wound and save roll for each hit. I believe he used to have some hit re-rolls of one in there. Now we have the Jabber Slide. The Jabber Slide. He's a 12-inch move, 10 wounds, 4 up save, 6 bravery. He is a monster, of course. He has his slithy tongue because he is a Jabber Slide. 9-inch range, 3 attacks, 3 by 3s, minus 1 rend, 1 damage. And then he has Vorpal Claws, 1-inch, 6 attacks, 3 by 3s, minus 2, 1 damage. And then a Spike Tail, 3 inches, 1 attack, 4 by 2s, minus 2, D3. He can fly, and he has an Aura of Madness, Subtract one from casting, dispelling, and unbinding rules for enemy wizards within six inches of any units in your army with this ability, which is him. In addition, each time an enemy unit within three inches of any units in your army with this ability is chosen to fight, roll 3d6. If the roll is greater than their bravery, until the end of the next phase, that unit is deranged. Add one to the attack characteristics of melee weapons used by that unit. If it is deranged, however, if the unmodified hit roll for an attack made by that unit that is deranged is one, it suffers one mortal wound after all its attacks have been resolved. I do not like That's, this change of this war scroll. Ugh. The aura of madness, and this is you know where I back in my day, yeah, of course, um, little OG action. Back yeah. back in my day, the aura of madness kept units from doing anything. Back in my day, and that was a really cool interaction. Obviously, you didn't see lots of Beast of Chaos players, and right. they weren't always taking jabber slides. But that was one of those things where your opponent would explain it to you, and you went, yeah, oh. yeah. I had Nagash shut down for a turn once because of a jabber slide. That's so cool. Thankfully, Nagash came to his senses yeah. and yeah. handled that business, but oh well. There you go. And then his last rule, spurting bile blood. Yeah, roll a dice each time a wound inflicted by a melee weapon is allocated to this model and not negated on a four-up. The attacking unit suffers one 
mortal wound. All right. So that is Broken Realms Kragnos. Those yeah. are the War Scrolls in it. Yep. Those are what they do. Any big thoughts? Any big takeaways? Anything you liked, didn't like? No, I just, I like the fact that this, I, I liked how many different factions or however many different types of units were affected by this book. It was kind of all over the place. And I think the things that they gave to these different factions were additive. You know, they weren't just like little you know, here's a little sprinkle here, a sprinkle there. I thought they were significant enough. They, they were meaningful. And some of the things we see in some of these Broken Realms books, some of them are good, but some of them are just like, okay. Especially when they have a lot. This one felt a little more useful for the factions that were getting stuff. And I really like the Van Dents. I, re- I mean, never gonna u- I'm never going to use them. But I think, again... It's, in a- they're just so neat. Yeah, they're just <laughs> cool. I think it's whoever came up with the idea is great. I would love to see somebody play them. And I would love to see somebody blow up an endless spell. That would be freaking awesome. If it ever played any kind of narrative game, I would want to take them. I think they would just be cool to have for that particular reason if somebody was taking in the spells. So overall, I, I like it. I certainly don't play Slanesh, but I like this pair uh, that they put in there. I like that a lot. I like what they did with spiders. Obviously, I have a little bit of vested interest in that one, but I like some of the things they gave them. And as much as I think Croak is just stupid, it's like, wow, he feels godlike now. It just really does. There's some changes to his rules. Like, holy crap, man. He's crazy. Yeah. He's crazy. What do you think overall? I'm Building off of that Croak point, I like that they are headed in the direction of making god-tier models that feel... Like they are leaders of factions or that they are heads of pantheons, that they are these really special particular things that are supposed to exist in unique places. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I'm okay that Ilariel, you know, heals 2d6 wounds mm-hmm. in her hero phase. Mm-hmm. I'm good with that. I like that that makes it difficult. She's the leader of an entire mortal realm. Pretty cool. You should be able to kill her in one phase of shooting. You really shouldn't. You should have, if you are going to, you should, it should require some work. It should require your whole army to shoot at her. Yeah. And nothing else, right? You know, the thing with Kragnos, I like that he is, you know, kind of a, a, the realm of Gur personified. There's a lot that we don't know about him. And I think there's a lot that we're going to learn in 3.0 with the Cruel Boys because they are supposed to be the faction of orcs that worships Kragnos. Mm -hmm. You know, you see it on their shields. I like that he has a rule that just can say blankly, I am going to charge into that other monster and potentially just remove it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's unique. It belongs to him. I think that that's really slick. The sub-factions that we saw, you know, the, the updates for that, fine. You know, the Molder stuff is interesting. I think the weapons team is the one that really helps. It makes a unit that most people were looking at already and went, I don't know why I'm going to spend the even the 70 points on this one thing. My opponent is just going to look at it and go, you die, because I know that if you get close, you know, you're going to do a lot of damage. Well, now you can deliver it in close without having to worry about it as much. Your opponent is going to have to play the guessing game of where, what, everything is. Well, this is very much like the Gits and the... What are those crazy guys with the ball and chain? The Yeah, oh, shoot. I can't think of the name, but you know what yeah. I'm talking about. But it reminds me of that mechanic, which is really cool. I mean, if I was a Gits player, but like, yeah, I'm hiding some guys in there. And that's awesome. And this is one of the things that Nick has gotten really good at, is hiding them in... The unit you didn't think it was hidden in. Sure. And then coming out at the last minute. Oh, yeah. You know, his latest few iterations of lists haven't included them, but that's not the point. 
it's nice to see moving in the direction of the big important stuff mm-hmm. that like you want to take sure. feels like big important stuff and that you are going to get big important stuff out of it. Okay. It's going to cost you quite a bit to do so in many yes. cases. Yeah. But it's a third of your army. But you are getting a clear and tangible benefit for it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And a lot of armies won't be able to do anything about it, honestly. Some of them, yeah. Some of them just won't be able to. Avoidance is their only only tactic, really. But you are going to have armies that are going to look at things like Kragnos and go, okay, well, I do a lot of mortal wounds that are not Mm magic-based. I'm cool with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. You don't scare me a ton. There are going to be things that are going to be able to go in there and go toe-to-toe with him. And sit there for a while. Sure. And that's a way of dealing with him. Yep. Fine. And at the end of it, you know, he'll probably still come out of it, but he's going to be pretty much defeated and hopefully you've got enough points to win the game. There are going to be things like when you're playing with Alario, she doesn't do a ton of damage. If you can feed her things that are going to take her a while to defeat, Mm -hmm. you're going to do all right. Sure. Croak, a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, Uh, for sure. Okay, cool. Anything else? That's it? No, no. I think that's that book. Okay. The next thing we'll be talking about is the full-on 3.0 rules. We've read through all the Broken Realm stuff for you, and now we're all caught up to date with the future holds. Yep, and we will be coming back in three weeks with that, but we'll talk about that in the show close. And we're going to take a little bit of a break, and then we will come back and do our usual scriptorium and this or that. Etc., etc., etc. It's scriptorium time, Brendan. It is. And new releases, there really isn't a whole lot of stuff. We have a Dominion book, as you could expect, just like we had a Curse City book and an Indominus book and all those things. We have that. All three of the, well, the first three, Uriel Ventress, the Ultramarine books by Graham McNeil, all of those are on audio now. So if you want to start that series listening or whatever, there is Straight Silver has come out, which is the sixth Ghost Gaunt book, of course, narrated by... Toby Longworth. And then we have a new Necromunda book. It looks like it's almost going to be made a series, kind of. It's called Flesh Made, or Fire Made Flesh. It's about Tempest, it's a Tempest Soul Gilder uh, novel. The Gilders are like the Guild of Fire and the Guild of Metal and the Guild of whatever. So they're kind of like, you know, you, these groups of people. And Tempest Soul is the name of the person. So it's a Necromunda thing. It looks pretty interesting if you're into Necromunda. But those are the new things. There really aren't many new things that came out. Mm. It's all mostly continuations of stuff. So how about your big three here, man? Yeah, so I have been continuing to listen to The First Wall. And it's kind of a grind. I'm really looking forward to Saturnine because I've heard that that book is incredible. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of just... I don't want to say suffering through because I don't think that's the right way. Like it, it's a fine, enjoyable listen, but oh, sure. man, that first book <laughs> was just so good. Yes, yes. And the second one was kind of whatever. Yeah. And this one's continuing to be kind of whatever. Okay. But I know from you know sitting here for however many episodes it's <laughs> been, listening to you do coverages of these. Yeah. I know Saturnine is a good book. Sure. Mortis is the one after that. Oh, yeah. I know fun. that's a that's it a good book. excellent. <laughs> yeah, and the, the other book, you're actually reading that one, so I'm going to make it a priority to listen to that one, and then Dan and I will have conversations offline because yeah. it's not Warhammer-related. No. 
In terms of watches, obviously Bucks games, where oh, yeah. the Bucks in seven games beat the Nets in a seven-round series of the Eastern uh, Conference semifinals, where yep. they'll play the winner of uh, Hawks versus uh, Sixers. But you know, it was uh, the Bucks are going to win. I just started watching Peaky Blinders yesterday. Yeah, it's a, it's a show on. It's Netflix. an interesting show. I've watched the first few episodes, and I and once in a while I'll pick it up. But... Okay, so maybe you'll understand this feeling that I have had. I think I'm four episodes in. Okay. I feel like there are a lot of things that just are not explained. Absolutely. And I'm sure some of it is very intentional, like some of these interactions and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of it is revealed in in the course of time. I do think, though, that there are really key critical elements that Mm -hmm. the writers just assume that you know. There's no no backstory narrative that they use. Like, cutscenes or something Mm -hmm. would be helpful, I think, to help you understand the context of what's happening. I would just take, like, some exposition. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. I I know that that's... That's the word I was trying to think of. I know that there's some cheating in that, but, like, there are some relationships between characters that, like... Like, they assume you as the watcher know. Right. I just don't. Right. The, like, sometimes things just happen and I go, Where, I guess. What? Uh, Who? <laughs> yeah. And there are a couple things that they really hammer over your head and you're like, I get it. Yep, this guy is a communist. I, I got it. Uh, thank you. I've enjoyed it, but there are definitely some things where I'm like, I kind of have an eyebrow raised at the mm. four episodes in at the recommendation that it was made to me. They're like, oh, sure. you need to watch it. And I'm like, I don't know like what I'm dealing with here so far that is must watch. But yeah, I like I said, I started out of curiosity mm. and I every once in a while I'll watch an episode, but it's rare that I do. I'm not it's not a regular watch for me at all. Okay. Like I'll keep doing it because it's an hour, which is a good way to like yeah. kind of pace my paint schedule. You know, I watched two episodes, and that's two hours. Yeah, okay, there you go. I'm not going to be doing anything anyways. Doing that, Dan, what about you? Well, I've got uh, Git Slayer was finished, finally. I don't think I had quite finished it last time. Just excellent. Darius Hinks and Jonathan Keeble are just an amazing writer-reader combination. Darius, just like I said... You know, the the whole gets thing with the... It's weird because you're thinking in a story, how can the KOs really get involved with gets? Like, how does that work? But then when you... As he's working the story and you see how Gotrek's involved and you're like, oh, I get it now. That's how these things work together. That's how they end up coming into conflict like they do. Mm -hmm. So it's just really well done. So that's finished. I'm listening to The Anarch, which is the last Gaunt's Ghost novel. I'm almost finished. I think I'm... Got about an hour and a half left out of 15 hours. <laughs> so I'm almost there. And it had been so long since I have read that book that I forgot half the stuff that was happening, which was great. So as I'm listening to it, I was surprised. Like there was a guy, a character who they found, they thought he was dead. And they found him and I'm like, oh, that is amazing. Like I didn't want him to die. And it, you kind of forgot about him. Now he's back in the story and right in with everything. It's very cool. Great stuff. I finished the first Genevieve story. Mm-hmm. In my book, which is called Drakenfels. And what's kind of interesting is it's about a play, of all things, and a playwright. And there's a lot more to it than that. Drakenfels is this horrific character that is just bloodthirsty and horrible. And But they started out a certain way, and you're thinking it's going to go in this direction. And then it it's over here like, why am I reading about a play? And then the more you read, the more you realize, oh, I get it now. And mm. Really, really nice. So that's great. And then once I finish that, the next book in my queue is going to be my first Grey Knights novel. So it'll be Grey Knight is what it's called, the Grey Knights. So that's Alaric is the main character there. And all the novels were just, it's Ben Counter wrote those. And 
just exceptional. So I'm looking forward to reading that again. The last thing I want to talk about is a movie I've been meaning to watch for a really long time. And I'm going to try to keep this short. <laughs> but Come and See is a foreign film that was filmed in Belarus. Uh, one of the screenwriters was actually a real-life Russian partisan fighting the Germans in World War II. And this is about a young man in a Russian village who is recruited by a partisan group. And it's the partisans fighting the Germans in World War II. This film, there's so many things about it. It's almost a horror film at the same time it's a World War II film. The lighting, the makeup, there are so many times when a character will be talking and they're like right up your face. Like the camera's right in that person's face. And you're just getting everything, every little nuanced emotion and everything that's going on. And it's, it's almost creepy. The whole thing was just disturbing and intense. And if you have any interest of how horrific that time was, this is just an exceptional movie to watch. It's a couple hours. You will be drained by the time you're finished, I can just tell you. Mm. Um, but it, I think it's worth a watch. A lot of people don't know about it, but it's called Come and See. And a very, very good movie. I'm glad I finally took the time to watch it. Uh, that's it for me, though. Okay. So I think we're done. And moving on to question time. Question time, indeed. Brendan. Yes. This or that? Yeah. Are you going to start or am I going to start this time? I'll start. Okay, boss. So, we didn't really cover it very much in 3.0, but one of the articles that Games Workshop previewed on the community site was called Having Your Heroes Be More Heroic and Having Your Monsters Being More Monstrous. Mm -hmm. Of the two, which are you more excited for? Your heroes being more heroic or your monsters being more monstrous? Monsters. Okay. Yeah. Just why? Because I've, I've just fallen so... So much in love with my coaches. They just, even though they die every single game. But they're not monsters. Well, but they are. But they're not. They're behem They're behemoths. Yes, they're behemoths. But they're not monsters. But they're not monsters. Oh, that sucks then. Well, we'll read the rules. And, yeah, and we'll... because I think I, my thought is reading what I have read is. I believe it's an either or statement. Yeah, that they will be able to do. Um, you can look it up on the table, but Mon about the monster. Monsters doing more monster yeah. stuff. Yeah, monsters doing more monster stuff. And here's the other thing. In Soul Blight, I know that I've got a lot of leaders and other things that are monsters. Mm -hmm. I know I do. Is it monster keyword? It's monster keyword. Monster only. Yeah, sorry, Dan. Oh, I lose. Yeah. Uh. Well, well, well. <laughs> okay. So you want to change your answer? No, I'm going okay. to because I still got my soul blight ahead. I just think the things that the monsters can do, like taking out terrain and stuff like that, is so freaking awesome. It was I pretty cool. That. Okay. All right. So we finished all four of our Broken Realm books. Yes. In review, I want you to rank them. We have Marathi, Teclis, Bellicor, and Kragnos, and you can rank them however you'd like for whatever reason you'd like. Bellicor won because Nighthaunt. Okay. I really liked the Kragnos book because I liked the variety of what was in it. I liked the Marathi book because I liked seeing Marathi in her rules become a god and be elevated to a certain level. I really liked that. Plus, I liked what they did with the Eidneth and they gave them some f cool tools and some other people. And then... Teclis. Teclis is like, okay. I'm, I, and I'm not a real Lumineth fan since most of the book was that. Not excited about that one, really. Mm -hmm. I, I was happy for Nurgle. I thought that was great. But, yeah. We've covered this in some way, shape, or form, but it's relevant now. Would you rather have been able to, assuming that it... Wasn't that you didn't have to get there at 2.30 p.m. Would you rather have 
enjoyed a game like Game 7 outside of the stadium. We can even say it's like a Brewers game, right? Okay, okay. It doesn't have to be a Bucks game. Would you rather be outside of, you know, what was Miller Field, Miller Park, now named something stupid? Yeah. Um, American Family. Yeah, too. during an away game, tailgating and yeah, yeah. enjoying it all in the parking lot or on your couch. So it's really the question of would you game rather... Seven. This, this It's a Game 7 away game, so you can't be in the stadium. Yeah. Would you rather experience that away game in and around the, the stadium... You know, with yeah, with other yeah, persons, or sure. would you rather be within the comfort of your own home? Well, it's kind of weird because of where we live. Where you of. live, you get a little bit of both. Well, I'm saying that the, that these walls end up. Let's being... say we live where we used to in Brown Deer. Sure, yeah. but I would rather be where the people are. Mm-hmm. I think you can enjoy it more that way. If it was like a World Series and the Brewers are entered or something, I'd love to be out tailgating rather than being in the stadium. I would. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be really fun because there'd still be thousands of people around you and you can still enjoy that. So Okay. Next question's more philosophical and you see it oh across my. all sports though. Oh all these questions Brandon, are... I'm still freaking recovering from the fact that my coaches won't be able to do monster stuff. It, well... I'm heartbroken. Well, hopefully you don't have to think too hard on this question. Okay. This one's more philosophical and in and around sports. So, for those of you that don't know, the Bucks won Game Seven against the Nets in, <laughs> yeah, the, you East, figured it in, out in the Eastern Conference after semifinals it five times. The rest. <laughs> God, and the two teams could not have been more different in their manner of construction. Okay, you have a Bucks team which is largely homegrown. The latest addition in pieces used assets that have been acquired over a number of years, built diligently in other trades to acquire Drew Holiday, mm-hmm. and a relatively high price was paid to get him. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the team has been here for a number of years and have been a core group that have been together and played together. They are what you would call a homegrown team. Sure. Homegrown teams have a lot of hope associated with them that, you know, Mm -hmm. that they'll hit a window and, you know, you hope that you can be successful for a number of years within it, but there are very few guarantees. Would you rather have that or a team like the Nets who have mortgaged their future for a roughly three to five year window in which they Mm -hmm. guaranteed to be competitive to a certain degree. Like that's it. Mm -hmm. Once that run is over, that team is going to likely be irrelevant for about a decade. Mm -hmm. Would you rather have the homegrown team where there are no assurances of competitiveness, but the guarantee is likely if you can reach that, you are able to be there for a while. Mm -hmm. Or would you rather have the super team where your window is very small, but your guarantees are a lot higher? I've thought about this for a while in terms of professional sports in general. Mm -hmm. I think football is another place, baseball certainly, basketball. But I really miss the days when you had players who were with teams for a long time. Because then you could really get to know that player and really like that player and be attached to them. Now, you see a guy for a couple of years, you kind of start to you know like the, the person and you like him as a player and you really like seeing him come out on the field, whoever he is, or on the court. And all of a sudden, they go to another team. And two weeks later, you're playing the guy that you just thought was cool. He's playing against your team. Mm-hmm. You know, But there's so many trades, so much movement, so much mobility in professional sports now. I don't like that. I just, I think you lose something because that whole homegrown thing you're talking about where you have this connection to the people who are on the court or on the, in the field, wherever it is. I think that's important in sports because I think that it adds some enjoyment and adds some uh, interest other than just a bunch of people out there that you have no idea who they are or where they came from. So I would rather take the homegrown team for sure. Okay. Absolutely. My last question is relevant because the first round of the NBA playoffs, yes. the uh, Milwaukee Bucks beat the Miami 
Heat in four games in what is known as a sweep. Yes. And in round two, the Eastern Conference semifinals, the Bucks beat the Nets in a game seven. Do you prefer, when it's teams you're rooting for, sweeps or game sevens? Oh, I prefer sweeps. Okay. Yeah. It much. I, I want to see my team just pound the hell out of somebody else. Okay. Like, you yeah. don't care if they're not entertaining or... It's entertaining for me when my team's kicking the hell out of somebody else. It's okay. pretty entertaining. Yeah. Fair enough. When the Brewers are ahead 10-2, to 2, I'm happy. It's fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> Another home run? Another grand slam? Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> No, it doesn't bother me at all. All right, well, uh, those are my questions, most of which were built off of the uh, Milwaukee Bucks beating the Brooklyn Nets in (laughs) Game 7 of the Eastern Conference semifinals. So my first question is Sigmar question. Okay. Dexnessa or Sinessa? I think I would be looking to take the Talon. Okay, the first one. I think that's Dexnessa. Okay, if you're taking a Slenish army. Mm. Yeah, because you have a lot of attacks, and you can allocate them across a number of different units to gain your depravity points, being base minus one to hit, pairing that with the Hedon Knights of Slenish trait where your opponent cannot pile into you, especially Mm -hmm. now that you can really limit the number of models that can attack you mm-hmm. in 3.0 because of the coherency rules, which we'll talk about next show more in depth. I think you can get a pretty high yield out of that character. Okay. The next question is, so you're going you're gonna to build a Seraphon army. Boo. And you're going to take it to an event. Are you going to include Croak or not include Yes, Croak? duh. I, I, I'm just asking if there was some kind of special thing that you would want to do. You know enough about... Seraphon. So I think it's a no-brainer, but I wanted to ask anyway. Just Yeah, he is pointed in such a way in place where if you're not taking him, you're making really explicit decisions around it. Sure. Kragnos or Croak? Hmm. I think Croak right now, with what we know, has a higher usability. Okay. What I mean by that is you're able to build more lists and feel good about including Croak. Hmm. I think with what we know right now, Kragnos is very limited to ineffectiveness to armies in which he is the first and only kind of piece that serves the function of murderizing the target. We'll see what changes within the new Orc Warclans book that we're going to get that is going to include Cruel Boys, Hmm. uh, because Kragnos, his points show up in Oric War Clans. So I think there is going to be some integration that he is going to have within Oric War Clans. Surprise, surprise. And I think that might change this answer okay. you know, because there are going to be new facts that come to light. But at this present moment, I think you would want to be taking Croak. I mean, they've got the Cruel Boys have him on their shields and stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, obviously there is some there's vi- some relationship, visceral there. connection. Yeah, yeah. So okay. we'll see if there is like a a big wah version of. Kragnos at the front of it. Okay. Indoor sports. Okay. Ice hockey Mm -hmm. or indoor soccer. Both pretty fast games. Like to play or to... So you have been given a season ticket to one or the other. You get to choose. I think hockey games in person are so much more fun. Mm. Like they're fun to watch on TV. The first NHL game that I went to in person, Mm -hmm. I gained a totally new appreciation for the speed and how difficult it is what they do mm-hmm. is. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, playing professional hockey is hard. But until, like, you are literally just a dozen feet away from what it is that's happening, you go, oh, it looks a lot slower on TV. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is way harder than it looks. I'd never been to an ice hockey game until I was at the Naval Academy. We had a couple people from Philadelphia, and they took us to a Flyers game. And it was like, I love this game. It was, you know, it's when they were broadsheet bullies, and it was rough. But I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> it was great. It's when nobody wore helmets, and everybody fought, you know, like three times. Every period, somebody was having a fight. It was just fun to watch. Yeah, a um, very different game, though. Yeah. And then the last one is, so we have three sports. We have football, basketball, and baseball. Okay. So who, as an athlete, do you think has the most challenging season, the most grueling season? Ooh, man. That's a good question, right? Because you have to play 162 games is hard. And let me just interrupt real quickly. We've got what? They're playing 16 in a row and then... 30-some in a row. 30, I was just thinking, 30-some games in a row, just for Mm -hmm. context. But who do you think out of the three then? So baseball's really tough, right? It's 162 games, you know, 30 in a row. Your overall physical output is a lot lower than the other two, just flatly. Like, a game of baseball is less physically taxing in an individual game than an individual game for starters in football games and basketball games. But to do that... Over the course of what amounts to, you know, seven months and then the playoffs, right? To be that consistent for that long is extraordinarily difficult. Basketball is tough, right? You know, because while most folks are not getting, you know, banged around and really roughed up, unlike Game 7 of the Eastern Conference semifinals versus the Nets, (laughs) which uh, which the the Bucs won, won. (laughs) where you had guys out there basically playing rugby and some weird whistles. But, you know, thankfully the Bucs won. And your turnarounds are a relatively short period of time. You know, you're only talking a day or two. Over the course of 82 games, over the course of five, four to five months, that's a very difficult ask. But I think it's football. The amount of time in which you have to do it is the shortest. The amount of time you have between, you know, games is the longest, right? You know, mm-hmm. in your average is a seven-day turnaround time. But you have professional football players that come out and say, Monday, I cannot move. Mm -hmm. When you do that from the age of, you know, we'll be conservative here, 12, to the age of 30, that's 18 years where every week for a four-month period of time, there's a day of the week that, like, I'm not capable of functioning. Mm -hmm. That does something horrible to you. Like, to get to that week 16... Mm-hmm. And into the playoffs, I guess it's week. It's going to be week eighteen now, going yeah, forward. Going. And into the playoffs, right. I physically cannot imagine what that has to feel like. Mm-hmm. And I used to do sports at a relatively high level, mm-hmm. and I knew how much my body used to hurt, mm-hmm. and no one was hitting me. Mm-hmm. It was just me. There is something all sorts of jacked up that you have to be to wake up that Monday and be like, "All right." Let's get ready for the next one. They're all difficult in and of their own right, but like you have to be a full-on crazy person mm-hmm. to, to walk away from what is a series of car accidents mm-hmm. and say, all right, well, we just got to get ready for the next team, which will also be a series of car accidents. Okay. And we're going to do that for another week and another week and another week and another week. Yeah. And then we get a week off. And then another week. And, like, the injuries that they play through are hilariously gross. There are all these stories, right, in football of dudes who break their fingers, reset them, or, like, they glove up in, like, a plaster case or whatever, and they keep playing. And who was the player, I want to say it was in, like, the 80s, where the guy bit off 
his finger that like had been mostly detached and then went back into the game. Yes. Yeah. 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 Cindy, yeah. these people are nuts. Yeah. It like basically came off in his glove. He broke it the rest of the way off and kept going. Well, but that's what happens when you have human flesh in between like pieces of metal and mm-hmm. like large pieces of plastic that are running together at you see these videos of these guys on treadmills mm-hmm. and they can hit 30 miles an hour on a treadmill mm-hmm. and that's all they do all game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, thank you. At least in baseball, right? No one's hitting you unless it's with the baseball because you broke one of the unwritten rules of baseball, which is stupid. And we can talk about that later. And getting hit with a hundred mile an hour baseball yeah. is pretty damaging. And, and that should be assault. But yeah. you know, that's uh, a, <laughs> like, as most of football should. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Football is the only place in the world where, for an hour, you are allowed to commit crimes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, cool. Each sport has its own challenges, right. to be fair. I think, personally, I would rather have a long season where the only barrier is, you know, the mental barrier of having to power through. Mm-hmm. Where, when there are gruesome baseball injuries, yeah. they are, like, well and truly outliers. Yeah. Um, I mean, football, they happen every game. Every it, game. It's just understood. Yeah. Okay, so that's it for this and that. We're going to close out this show, buddy. Mm -hmm. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. All right. We are going to go to episode 77 three weeks from today. We're going to record. And hopefully we'll be able to report out that the Bucks won the Eastern Conference Finals. Yes, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. That'll hopefully. be great. Go Bucks. You'll, you'll have to hear that again. And maybe I'll edit that part out, though, because I know you don't want to hear it again. <laughs> We're going to talk about kind of a... A theoretical rather than a practical approach to the book. We will have played some practice games and those kind of things, but we really want to take the time to walk you through the details and connect the dots, which is really what it's about. Connecting the dots of the core book and the general's handbook and some of the battle tomes that are related to this, all those things and put them together in one big package for you so that as you go out to play your games, you'll have a lot better understanding and hopefully you can use that episode as a reference and say, oh, I remember they talked about this or they talked about that. That really is our goal, I think, in that episode. Then we're going to come back about two weeks later with Tyler Emerson, and we're going to give you a first-hand review of our experience with it at a real-life five-game tournament. Mm-hmm. which is Circle City. And he, and Tyler is going to probably end up playing a bunch of pickup games with his locals and yep. things like that. So We'll all have some practical experience with 3.0 and then share how that went with you. Yeah, we'll talk about interactions on how we expected things to go versus you know where they actually did, how we saw different rules interact with different armies mm-hmm. versus what our projections were, and you know then take the assessment of how do you move forward? What's next? Yeah, that's it then, Brendan. Thank you again, as always, my friend. Yeah. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate your support. And stay excited, no matter what you're hearing on the interwebs. Stay excited. We got a new rule set, and we're going to play it, and we're going to take it to the next level and do everything we're going to do. The and world hasn't ended, I promise. No, except that my coaches are not monsters. Other than that. And the Nets are no longer in the playoffs. Because uh, <laughs> the Bucks beat them in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Semifinals. God, I am going to have a lot of fun editing this. I'm just telling you. <laughs> no. Brendan's going to go, wait a minute, where were all my comments? No, No, I'm going to leave it all in there. So thanks again. (laughs) You guys take care, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time around. Bye! This is the end.